Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the feel-good edition, which naturally is the one after All-Stars. So, uh, as always, it's good to talk to you. Uh, this is Mario Lanza. This is Jay Fisher, and I'm coming at you with Spears. And this is Mike Bloom, and uh, I want to get in touch with my femininum side as well. Uh, you know what, Mike? Uh, my area is polluted. I think I need to leave right now. <laughs> hey! Hey! You are messing me up right now! <laughs> Vanuatu! Guys, come on. I'm a grown-ass man. Oh, this is going to be so good. No, we're not actually going to recap respect. the season. This is just, just going to be three hours of us listing quotes to each other. Just doing Rory impressions. <laughs> All right. <sighs> yes, yeah, so welcome back. It's been a while since we've report, recorded a podcast, and we I don't think I need to tell you how thrilled we are not to be talking about All-Stars and moving on to a season that we all love, uh, Survivor Vanuatu. Oh, my God, Vanuatu. I mean, you know, it's funny because, you know, in my head, I hadn't seen Vanuatu for a few years. I mean, I had definitely rewatched it a few times aside from watching it when it came out and and everything like that. And so I was sort of going off my my headspace thoughts of Vanuatu is one of my favorite seasons of all time. And I kept saying that online on POS and, and whatnot, saying Vanuatu is the best. I love Vanuatu. It's just one of the best seasons ever. But then there's this nagging thought in my head on, is it, is it really, or is, is some sort of, you know, old, old season bias creeping into my head? But, but upon watching this and doing research for the Historians podcast, I can reaffirm, I love this season, and it is, it is such an old school season, just the way it's presented, and I just can't wait to dive into it. Yeah, there is so much I just completely forgot about. Uh, the, I mean, the very first time I saw this season, I was very much in... The, uh, the casual fan camp absolutely hating on this season after Chris won and seeing this uh, row of women go down like dominoes. But even just watching this first batch of episodes, there is so much great stuff in it. And, you know, it's, it's better than any sort of pre-merge we see in a lot of these modern seasons as well. You know, there's obviously negative things that might come, not come across so great in front of a casual audience, but they're still presented so interestingly. Now, I'm going to disagree with you guys a little bit, just not in the big sense, but just in the, the details. That Vanuatu, I've long said, is one of my top three seasons, although it kind of rotates in that third spot with Africa and uh, Amazon. So it kind of it's in my top five at all times. Although, while watching it this time, I am reminded that it's not particularly spectacular at the beginning. And I, I, I think you guys may disagree with me. We'll talk about that more later. But all I do, that does, but well, it, this it is just, interesting. Yeah, it just reaffirms to me how fantastic the second half is when... I really don't think anything spectacular happens at the start, the first couple episodes. But then it, when it takes off, I mean, there is no season, I don't think, that reaches the peaks that Vanuatu does. And that's Pearl Islands is my favorite because it's excellent throughout. I think Vanuatu has more of a rocky road. And I kind of understand now why it was not particularly popular at the time. You can We'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised when I'm watching it that the start is really not as great as I remember. But that does not take away from the, the second half. I disagree somewhat. I, I can understand where you're coming from, though. Like, I, I, I am not sitting here baffled. Um, and I think the reason is, is, and I was thinking of this as well, is that I famously, on the, on, previously on the Historian's Podcast, trumped up Survivor Thailand and said that that was one of my favorite seasons. And I am telling you now, I love Vanuatu, and it's one of my favorite seasons. And I think one of the reasons is, uh, Mario, is that you're right. Not a lot of truly significant you know, storylines or, or lasting things kind of come out of those first few episodes, but it is very textbook on, 
it's a season where if you want to know how to play Survivor, and I mean, obviously in a modern Survivor, there's all these new rules and stuff, so, so watching old school seasons isn't going to totally prepare you, but at its core, Survivor has never changed. It's always about sort of, you know, being, you know, ingratiating yourself, you know, getting people to vote you a million dollars. And I feel that there are some seasons that can teach you how to play better than other seasons. And I think Thailand is a very good nuts and bolts season on, you know, just some basic do's and don'ts. And I actually think that Vanuatu in these first few episodes is a textbook on how to, how to play Survivor and how not to play Survivor. Yeah, and I would also add to that that it's, it's fantastic in how normal the people are. I mean, if you're thinking that's one of the core values of what makes a fantastic Survivor season, just normal people thrown into an abnormal situation, there may be more, no more normal cast than Vanuatu. It's just normal, everyday, lots of blue-collar people. It's a really interesting cast. Though you do have your interesting careers surrounded out, as always, such as uh, John Kenny, the mechanical bull operator. Yes. yes. And the dueling highway construction workers. The highway construction workers. A shepherdess? Yes. <laughs> you know, you know it's... Yeah, Leanne's got an interesting one too. Well, an equity research assistant. Equity yeah. re- <laughs> is Roy like a housing cases manager? Or yeah, something like that. And Julie's like a youth mentor or something. Do they? Sh- the, the answer me this, because I mean, I, I clearly I watch modern seasons, but do they show their occupation now on on the screen, or is it just their tribe or whatever when they, they show their name? Yeah, they they don't show occupations anymore at all. I can't what? remember. I feel like it might have been Cook Islands, maybe. Uh, maybe I'm biased against that, but I feel like that was like the first season where they just stopped showing professions. I mean, I mean, I, I totally get it because most of the professions now is you know waiter slash model. You know, like I, I get that, or waiter slash actor actress. Like I understand, you know, half the people are from LA. Like I understand that they're not doing the whole geographic whole walks of life thing anymore. I understand, but it's, it, that's so interesting when you watch those old seasons because you, you know, Rory is a housing case manager, but you know, it's not like we're digging out of some weird bio to remember that it's showing us on the screen as you're watching the episode. Isn't Bubba like a rodeo clown? No, he's not. I know. He just feels like he should be though. <laughs> He just Ro- seems like a rodeo clown. I don't know. Rodeo <laughs> clowns, though, are like surprisingly nimble and athletic and agile and could probably swim. And, uh, you know, lots of things that Bubba isn't. <laughs> Why would a rodeo clown have to swim? How often are they being chased into the ocean? Have you not heard of Hawaiian rodeos, Mario? <laughs> I'm sorry. I live in my little bubble. I'm not aware of the world. Look, if my job was to get in a ring and, you know, distract a really pissed off bull, I would learn how to swim. I'd learn how to skydive. I'd learn how to dig a hole to China. I would learn how to do everything to escape an angry, pissed off bull. I'm telling you right now. So you'd basically be coach. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about where we are in Survivor history. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. Speaking of normal people, Mike, Mario is now a normal person. I'm a normal person. Wow. The demigod has descended. Well, okay. I will will say two things about that. A, I was just sick of Survivor after All-Stars. I couldn't handle it anymore. I mean, this was taking over, you know, 10, 12 hours of my day, writing about Survivor, getting people emailing me about Survivor. So it was just ridiculous. So... It had nothing to do with like me feeling like I was a big shot and I had to step down. It was like I would rather have a, my life and my family, and I don't want my wife to divorce me one day. So I just had to get out of Survivor, and I was just sick of it. So this was the first season, yeah, that I really wasn't any sort of insider. I wasn't writing about it. I wasn't really watching it wholeheartedly. And it really, I kind of lost interest in Survivor the first couple episodes of Vanuatu. So, yes, that is correct. You're, you are welcome to take as many digs at me as you'd like. 
so this is the time where I pull out my stories and I talk about the people. <laughs> you have stories? No, no. Okay, good. I didn't think so. <laughs> did did yeah. you did did Roger Bingham hold your children, Mike? <laughs> well, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just want to stay humble and grounded and just like any normal person with the extent that I single-handedly saved Vanuatu and made it awesome. Other than that, I want to stay humble. I will give you some credit without, you know, pumping you up too much because, you know, God knows you don't need that. But <laughs> I, I do think that the Funny 115 did cause people to look at Vanuatu a little differently, and I know that you'll get into that much, much later with, you know, treatment of Chris and all that other stuff. Uh, but yeah, uh, did you want to take us into the whole background of this season? Well, yeah, I mean, basically what you have after All-Stars, and I know a lot of people will dispute this, but I mean, this is what I remember very well, that Survivor was just kind of broken. I mean, everything you knew about Survivor through seven seasons was kind of changed. I mean, it was kind of all the, all the legacy, all the stars were kind of gone. The new star of Survivor is now Boston Rob Mariano, which this I know this will be baffling to people who don't really know the backstory of survivor but like boston rob was a really questionable choice to be the face of the franchise now considering and i know this will be a controversial opinion that he was really more or less the first colton i mean he was the guy throwing out gay slurs about people on tv just outing people on tv saying horrible things about them like the fact that this guy was now the face of the franchise after the seventh after the eighth season it's a really dicey area if you're a tv producer this that this guy is now the model I mean, would you guys disagree with that or agree with that? That's just something that I was thinking of the other day, that you basically had Colton now as the star of the franchise, and you had to sell him as a hero, and it's a really odd thing. I don't totally agree with that. I don't think the boss... I mean, Boss Rob was a face, but we're still in the height of Rupert mania at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they, they lean on Rupert, but you're right. I mean, but Boston Rob had a weird odyssey after that, which doesn't really get into Survivor as well. But, you know, he, he, was, he was a very polarizing figure within the game of Survivor and as a Survivor character. But his proposal to Amber and then their subsequent marriage on TV and then they did a show about Rob and Amber living and Rob, like, learning how to play poker. Did you ever catch that? I specifically did not. <laughs> It was it was really surreal because it was one of those like for people that are looking back at their reality TV history. This is before Keeping Up with the Kardashians, but it's that veil of show. Like Jessica Simpson had a show on MTV about it, and it was just you 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 followed like a famous couple, and you just followed them living. Like Whitney Houston had one with Bobby Brown that was just really weird. But like this was like a a, a reality thing where you had a reality television show, and it was with famous people, and you just sort of followed their lives on camera, but. Boston Rob and Amber were a famous reality TV couple, but I always thought that they were as big a Survivor fan as I was. You know, you had a show with Jessica Simpson, who was like one of the most popular pop stars on the planet, and Nick Lachey, who, you know, was also popular kind of too. But then you had this one that was like Boston Rob and Amber from Survivor. And it was like, really? They get their own show? Yeah, it, that's the thing. It, it was not a slam dunk that he should have been the biggest star of Survivor to get his own show. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think just, it. Oh, go ahead. I was, I'm done. I was going to say, I think, it's, I think it's also very significant uh, that the producers decide that to not bring any of these players back, uh, for some of them for 12, 12 seasons, you know, six years. And throughout the seasons as we progress, they barely get mentioned as well, you know, outside of the Pringles 
survivor facts that we experience in Palau. There, there aren't really a lot of scenes like we see nowadays where people are saying like, well, what would Richard Hatch do? Or what do you think, what would, I want to play like Boston Rob. What would Boston Rob do in this situation? It seemed to me like after All-Stars, as much as the wedding and the engagement and Rupert winning a million kind of distracted everyone from the, uh, the bad taste ending at hand, I think the producers were ready to kind of wipe the slate clean mm-hmm. and say, all right, here's 18 new people going back to a new environment that they haven't been to before. Let's, uh, let's start phase two of the show. Yeah, no, that's fair. It's basically a reboot of the franchise. We start over. This is the Borneo now. I totally agree with that sentiment. I think that that is totally right. I mean, I, I, I agree with Mario's sentiment that Survivor was kind of broken. I disagree that necessarily that, that Rob is the you know de facto face of Survivor, but he's a big star at that point. I mean, he emerged from Survivor All-Stars as one of the big stars of, of, of Survivor slash reality TV. I mean, for, for God's sake, like we mentioned, he and Amber got their own reality show that they sort of had to put on hold because they went on the amazing race. And then they went on the amazing race again in an all-star amazing race like they you know they then move on with their lives and do all this sort of stuff and meanwhile survivors kind of left holding this really uncomfortable bag you know and and so vanuatu is a reboot uh on all fronts and i think that in in that sense people sort of overlook it or it may gets it gets forgotten and you know obviously you know just the things that transpired that people didn't like at the time but you go back to it it is it's Survivor had to reboot itself, and I think that they did a good job with Vanuatu. They did, although, again, this is the elephant in the room here, that this was not a popular season, and it was not a popular season for a long time. It really wasn't. (laughs) You're totally right. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. It's Wait, if you go back and read the Funny 115, all that is is me trying to sell Vanuatu because there was nothing on the internet that wrote anything positive about Vanuatu in the time. So, like, I completely overdid the Funny 115 to the point that it got obnoxious. If you read it, it's just all me raving about Chris way more than I should have. And I was doing that for a reason because nobody else on the internet would say anything nice about Vanuatu. It was a really odd time, if you're a fan of Vanuatu, to think that at one point no one liked this season. So if we're uh, if we're talking about the producers kind of deciding to reboot the franchise with Vanuatu, do we want to talk about the choice on the producers' part to once again divide the tribes by gender only three seasons after they did it the last time? Absolutely. I think that's a great topic. Why don't we dive into it? Because, uh, well, I guess we can get into, do we have any more backstory, backstory things, or do can we talk about it as we get into the episode? Not really. I mean, yeah, it's the only other thing. Backstory is mentioning All-Stars again, which I don't want to do. So. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about this, but uh, we'll get into the very beginning of the show. Don't worry. We'll go back a little bit. But y- it becomes very clear in the first, uh, you know, in the first 10 minutes of the first episode that they, they're part of this Vanuatu tribal ritual and they get split up into men versus women. So we get a men versus women season three seasons after. Did they advertise this? I totally don't remember this. I remember it being advertised, but I don't remember it being the only thing they advertised mm. about it. Like with Amazon, yeah. that was all they talked about. I mean, right. men versus women, men versus women. It was kind of a side note about this one. Although, yeah, one of the theories I've always had about that is I've never thought that they were happy with how Amazon turned it out. Turned out, And the reason why is because I think they wanted men and women to fight fiercely, like in an Amazon warrior. Like that's what they wanted. They wanted the women to come after the men to just slaughter them. Except what they got was a lot of young people in Amazon kind of flirting and hitting with each other and raving about Heidi's boobs and stuff. So I've always suspected they weren't particularly happy with how unfierce that season turned out to be. And so in this season, they cast more people that wouldn't flirt. And I think they really wanted this was the battle of the sexes they wanted. It was. And really, 
you know, Survivor, uh, to the date of this podcast, Survivor has had three seasons where they have initially divided the tribes by gender, uh, men and women, Amazon, uh, Vanuatu, and then later on they did it in Survivor One World. And as Survivor One World proves, and it has a lot of, you know, just tribal split proves, Amazon is a really weird season. And I, I'm really excited to kind of when we go through this season to sort of refer back to Amazon because in theory, the first season that something happens, that is your precedent. Mm-hmm. But it's weird because Amazon is almost... A, it's it's not a precedent. It's the exception to a lot of rules. It's just a really weird season when a lot of that comes. Mm-hmm. And it gets people, especially Chris, into trouble because they probably were thinking about stuff that happened in Amazon. And that's not totally the case. That was just a really weird season, you know, how decisions people made and things like that. Uh, and so you're right. I think they wanted this very adversarial men versus women season. And I think they just had, you know, probably doing research about Vanuatu and mm-hmm. knowing that they were going to work with the tribal people. They were like, I think this could work if we do it this time. <laughs> yeah. Let's start off the season with this ritual where the women just get shit on in front of the men. Let's do that. <laughs> and also let's cast a lot of really militant, like women that won't be there just to, to flirt, but they'll be, they'll be there to fight. So it just, it was a wonderful combination of how to set up a male versus female season. <laughs> Yeah, and from what I remember, I mean, even though it was three seasons afterwards, I don't feel like the public in general had an outcry of like, oh, no, too soon. I mean, at, at this point in Survivor, we're, we're about to enter, uh, you know, we're getting up to two versions of Blood versus Water, one being only one year after the other. And fans are still a little wary of that. But I feel like at the time, uh, Pearl Islands and All-Stars kind of cleansed both in good and bad ways uh, the palate of the typical survivor viewer so by the time vanuatu rolled around they're like okay battle of the sexes it's uh, it's fine yeah i mean Vanu- amazon was a good season right like mm-hmm. ultimately we all liked amazon and amazon was liked at the time so when they were like we're gonna do men versus women again you were like all right that worked we're good let's do this mm-hmm. yeah either that or just no one cared i mean either that or it was like man survivor's still on I mean, it was kind of in that era. After All-Stars, I'm guessing there was a lot of that. Ah, uh, good old Survivor fatigue. <laughs> you know, it happens every season from four until what? Whenever you listen to this, which will be about 35 or 40. <laughs> well, <laughs> should we get into it, or do we have... Wait, I have one more thing. No? <laughs> wow. Okay, so we start off this thing. Jeff Probst is, you know, hey, we're in the middle of the South Pacific, and, uh, you know, he's sort of ta- he's on an active volcano, which is, you know, pretty, you know, Jeff Probst awesome moment, right? Where he's in front of this volcano that's smoking and belching and doing all this stuff. And he's, you know, you see them, they're on, they're on the boat. And as Mario pointed out earlier, it's so fun to go back and watch this old season where these people just look like normal people. Yeah, there's nothing fantastic about anybody in this cast. Right down to the point that, you know, the people that take over the game are known as the Fat Five. I mean, that's, they're affectionately known by, as the Fat Ones, so that tells you how normal Americans they are. Right. By so, the way, I yeah, do have to ahead. point out one thing. Um, the, are you guys aware of the length of this episode? This is kind of a big deal. Is this a 90-minute one? This was supposed to be a long oh, episode. yeah. It was either 90 minutes or two hours. I don't remember which one. I know thousands of people are listening to this all they're yelling at me because they all know the answer but it was it was longer and like a week before the premiere they cut it down to 60 minutes oh yeah Yeah, now i remember that and when you watch this episode it's very evident it's very choppy like the whole ceremony with the natives you know brady climbing the pole that takes up a good half of the episode and so the second half is very rushed and I think it really suffers. This is one episode I think really would have benefited from being 90 minutes because they had to have all that native stuff at the start. 
But if you watch this episode, absolutely never, never forget that when you watch episode one of Vanuatu. It's really choppy and it's really awkward at the end, but it's because the producers had their hands forced. They had to cut a bunch of stuff at the last minute. Note to Survivor producers listening to this podcast. They're not. They're not. They're not listening. <laughs> they're, no, not listening. <laughs> they're not listening. Note to Survivor po- producers that are listening to this podcast. Ninety minutes is like the perfect first episode. You know, Absolutely. I know. I, I know. Everyone says, "Oh, two hours." I find two hours is too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but ninety minutes is really good. You know, because you can, you know, sort of get yourself introduced to everyone and sort of get those initial. In the, and that's something that I miss from a lot of modern things. And, and they don't do it a ton here in Vanuatu, but they do have a bunch of it, which is nice. Which is them getting to the beach and you know starting to learn and equate and get themselves going and just sort of. Those opening days, I think that's just such such a fun part of Survivor, and, and I miss it. And, and I think you're right. I think that they do sort of cut out a bunch of the things. But this opening is super spectacular. Uh, I, you can't ask for a much better opening because, you know, Jeff goes through his fun, you know, voiceover thing on the mountain. And we get the Survivor theme, which is funny because it's a little different in the first episode because they don't show the tribes right away because they're not, even though they may have advertised it, they're not on the show giving away yet that it's men versus women. You know what? Now that you mention that, I'm wondering if they didn't mention it was men versus women. That's why I asked because yeah. if you see the opening, they they jumbled up, they they mix up the 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 now famous order of uh, people because they don't really show the tribes. They just show like you know some men, some women, and stuff like that. Great theme song. I mentioned it before. Love the energy of it uh, and everything like that. But then when it cuts back, you see the ship go to anchor, and then you just see all these native Vanuatans just by the boats and they're they're yelling and screaming and then they push their boats out in the water and they start you know furiously paddling toward the boat and you can see some shocked faces and the now famous Ch- chad shocked face <laughs> yes yes it is it, it is really really intense because you know it is it is such a culture shock just you know having to see this and then jeff probst is just amongst them you know jeff probst awesome moment you know rowing up to the boat <laughs> climbing into the boat yeah, someone pointed out to me yesterday that there's a great Jeff Probst dick moment where he's climbing up the boat and Chad offers him a hand and Jeff just completely ignores him and walks up the, onto the top onto the boat. I look for that. I think it's JP and not Chad, but I, I could be oh. wrong. But, you know, he, uh. he, he's just sort of like they extend the hand and Jeff's like, no, I got it. I, I didn't really interpret it as a dick moment. It was just Jeff Probst with his, you know, black sort of shirt and his choker. And he's like, I got it, man. I'm cool. I'm Jeff. <laughs> I, I wish it was Chad so that I could say Jeff Probst had a leg to stand on. So he didn't need to get let up. Maybe it is. It, it looked like maybe multiple people were, were extending the hand to him. I noticed JP was, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do it. But then, you know, Jeff was like, hey, welcome to Survivor Vanuatu. Uh, you're going to be on the island, but you have to be welcomed on the island. In order to do so, you have to partake in a tribal ritual. It's not like we've totally set this up to sort of, you know, engender emotions here. But, you know, just go with it, guys. You know what I remember about that scene is that Probes doesn't call it Survivor Vanuatu. He uses the full title. Survivor Vanuatu, Islands of Fire. Yeah, and he stays with that for a while, and I think he drops it later in the season because it's just a mouthful. Was, it, was, this, was this the first subtitled season? Um, like having, that, having that colonized uh, predecessor? I think so, because I don't remember it up until then. Because, you know, there was you know, all that. There's Gabon, Earth's Last Eden, and stuff like that afterwards. Well, there was Survivor Africa, old people fall down a lot. There was that. Oh, I forgot about that one, yeah. yeah. Survivor Marquesas, back to the beach, and no-nos. <laughs> there was a Survivor of the Australian Outback, the story of Nick Brown. Do you remember that one? I really uh, don't. <laughs> I really don't, dude. 
or right. uh, Sur- Survivor Thailand, please watch this show. Please, please watch this show. It's good, I promise. <laughs> Survivor Pearl Island, so much rot and death. Oh, boy. Yeah, and what's funny is that he does say in there, I mean, he, he's prepping it, and what's funny is that, you know, as a, as a naive sort of audience member and as somebody just... Uh, uh, I'm sure as a contestant out there, I mean, Jeff's like, you have to get a part, you're gonna, you have to participate. And, you know, there are parts of it that may be beautiful and there are parts of it where you may be repulsed. I mean, he's already setting them up for, we're totally going to try to, you know, manipulate you guys here. Pretty much. So anyway, they get in boats uh, to go out and, uh, you know, awesome, you know, Bubba and the boat with Bubba and Scout and Sarge, you know, tips over right in the beginning, which is, you know, just totally awesome. And and who gets the first confessional here? Let's point this out for our Vanuatu trivia. Mia. 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 The most totally significant important. player. <laughs> yes. like, your your relative, Mario. <laughs> your cousin yes. Mia. <laughs> yeah, we'll just throw this out there. You know, it, it's easily one thousand emails I've received over the years asking if Mia is my cousin because we have a similar last name. Which apparently, if you have a similar last name, now you're related. That but is no, really Mia, weird. Yeah, everyone asks me, and I'm like. I mean, they think that my last name is Galeo Toa Lanza or whatever. But no, I'd never shorten my name. We're, we're not related. But yeah, it's, it's, it's shocking to me how many people have asked me that over the years. But no, there is no relation. Who shortens their last name? Ellis Island immigrants. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> yeah, they have to come to the U.S. and dejuify their name a little bit. <laughs> take, take a button hook to the eye and uh, let's, let's knock a few syllables off that name there. <laughs> Moskala, Moskala, which Smith, you're Smith now. (laughs) Yeah, I I should point out an important trivia fact about this, you know, about the scene that Survivor for years has been known as the whitewashed show where there's way too many white people and not enough minorities. This scene, I believe, is the only time in Survivor history there's more black people than white people on the screen. So there you go, your Survivor (laughs) trivia question. Aside from the Fiji Endgame. (laughs) Aside from the Fiji Endgame and Grindgate. (laughs) Wow. What just happened? I don't know. <laughs> literally just happened in the last like 30 seconds. <laughs> but anyway, like they get in the boats and then they sort of like circle them. And, and again, I think this might be, even though they did show quite a bit of this opening with the Vanuatan tribe, um, it, it did seem like they, something sort of got lost because they got in the boats and then they sort of circled them and were, were chanting things and then they deposited them on the beach. And I sort of thought we missed something out in the water, but... You know, Leanne talked about it a little bit. And then they basically get on shore, and then all of a sudden, like, from the village come, you know, some tribe members fully dressed in, you know, sort of tribal warrior gear with spears, and they just run and start shouting into the contestants' faces. I would be so scared. I remember JP's first instinct is, should we kick these guys' ass? Yeah, (laughs) JP's like, they were coming at me with spears. And I was like, so what, dude? Should I, like, defend myself? And I'm like... With what, JP? Your ball cap? Like, what, what are you going to do? I'll throw an am- amber at him. I'll pick up an amber. I would love to see JP be the first contestant to get removed from the game due to physical assault against a native. <laughs> due to impaling. What? He had a spear. So I was just like, dude, I'm going to, like, you know, MMA him or something. Well, there, it's notable also that the... Uh, <laughs> That they go, they decide to go after uh, this entire cast and start yelling at them, except for one person, uh, as he's keen to point out. <laughs> oh, Rory. <laughs> because, of, because a black man coming to this island isn't entirely unwelcome. <laughs> which, is, which is a super fun line. Like, God, 
The thing is, is that I think Rory rubbed people the wrong way, and I don't know why. Rory is like gold. Every time he opens his mouth, it's like, <laughs> this is fantastic. Everyone, like, I need more Rory in my life, just on a regular basis. Well, he's funny because he's angry, but he doesn't actually get that angry. So he, like, he just gets mildly angry. Yeah, he's perturbed. Yeah, <laughs> and he screams a little heavy a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah, <laughs> there's that. He also has, what's funny is that he also, a lot of his reactions to things, like, it's not necessarily how I would react to things, but just the things he gets upset about are things I would probably get upset about out there. So, in a weird way, I, like, identify with Rory. Mm-hmm. Like, with a lot of things, like, when he gets upset about something, I'm like, yeah, you're kind of right, dude. <laughs> you know? So, so, so there's that. But, you know, the whole social game and, the, and whatnot. But, yes, Rory is, uh, he's not yelled at. But, uh, basically, you know, they rush out and they they yell, they do some dancing, and then finally some people with spears come up and they start sort of nudging the women off to the side. And this is when the ceremony sort of starts, where the women are nudged off to the side and sent to kneel on a mat, sort of, you know, off to the side. And then the men are, you know, sort of hand-in-hand hand ushered over to log stumps, sort of in the middle of the action. They got, like, the 50-yard line seats. I'm surprised they didn't have the women just feeding the men grapes. Yeah, it, it was basically like that, you know, and, and it was, uh, you know, it was Leanne and, and, and some of the other people, was it Eliza also, uh, got some interviews where they were, it's confessionals, but they were like, yeah, we, uh, we were off to the side. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think Amy says, uh, she's not used to being put second behind a man, uh, which is weird because I usually thought the men would be behind her in some instances. <laughs> Wow. Mike Bloom, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. I'm back. <laughs> How long were you holding on to that one? That is bad. <laughs> That's what she said. Anyway. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, sexism is slowly killing Vanuatu. <laughs> well, as you can see, this this is part of the whole thing. Like Mario mentioned it earlier. I think that they wanted to have a a season of men versus women, but they wanted to have an adversarial Men versus women. Not only did it come with casting, I, this ritual is specifically set up to do that. Yeah. You know, to have the not only the have the men and women separated, but to have a clear division of the you know because the men got the better seats, they were sort of fond on. They got to drink the kava, mm-hmm. you know, which mm-hmm. you know they 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 described as you know sort of muddy looking water, but kava is super strong alcohol, and the men got to drink some, and and the women got nothing. You know, so it was a very divided sort of ritual and and that was the thing is i'm not saying that the ritual is illegitimate but it was like they may have had this ritual and they were like we are going to make a clear message here that there is a division between men and women and especially on this island and and it's it's totally meant to manipulate just emotions of this whole thing well yeah i mean there's totally a division between men and women comma and women are considered worthless that's that's the part yeah yeah and that's and you it's, combine that with the cast. I mean, this is older women than Amazon. You have the first two out lesbians in Survivor history, I believe. I don't think Sonya was out at the time, but Amy and Scout at the time were billed as like two out lesbians on Survivor. So, I mean, it's clearly a season that they wanted to make these women angry and put a chip on their shoulder that they had to prove themselves. Yes, because it's right. It's not just dividing men and women and saying, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It was, you know, men and women are different and men are getting more stuff and women get nothing because that's how it is. And so it, it was a very clear division. And, uh, you know, then Probst, then they have at the very end of the, of the ritual, Probst is like, well, this is how the tribes are going to be, men, men, and, men on one and women on the other, because that's how you were divided in this camp. 
And uh, also, there's this lucky rock that uh, we'll just throw up there on this pole that's been greased in pig fat. And uh, only the men have the opportunity to go get it. And uh, it's really hard. And they show like a native like skillfully going up and putting the rock up. And then they're like, all right, so all the men are going to have a shot. And if none of them get it, then the women get this talisman. And, uh, you know, then the first guy goes up and gets it. So I think that cancels out your argument. It was really hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they build it up and build it up. And then Brady, the, the super clear cut FBI agent, they were like, all right, go up there. And he's like, all right. And he just went up there and got it. Couldn't they have sent Bubba up first or something? Well, that's the thing. They, uh, the, the native apparently pointed Sarge first. So Sarge purposely leans out of the way. Because <laughs> he doesn't want to be the one to, to fail when climbing the pole. Classic Sarge move. Classic Sarge. Well, what I like is that he's narrating it later in a confessional about how, like, you know, he ducked out of the way and then they're showing, like, the live thing, and he totally did. This is when we're, like, the confessional <laughs> and the footage totally match up. Like, they point and start, you can just see Sarge, like, give the old shoulder dip, like the... <laughs> so would you say Sarge avoided the draft of having to climb up for the rock? Oh, my God. <laughs> wow, that was brilliant. We hired the right temp. Oh, my God. <laughs> Now, I feel like we're glossing over the part where they bring out a live pig and they bash it in the head. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, there was that. I guess I, let, let, we need to give Dolly her due because she's not going to be on the show much longer. Yes, part of the ritual was they brought out a live pig, which, you know, just sort of hanging upside down, like, you know, you would think sort of, you know, just on a, on a stick. And, uh, and then they, they put it in the center and, and, you know, Jeff does come out and say, what you're about to see, this is normal. They're not just doing this for you. This is something they do all the time. And they sort of, you know, slaughter the pig. And, uh, you know, Eliza is the great confessional of, you know, I eat meat. I know it's slaughtered, but I don't really like to see it. And then you get to Dolly, who's over there. She's like, I heard sheep. They get slaughtered. This is what I do. I was cool with it. Yeah. And you're like, Dolly, badass. Nice. And then they smear all the blood on the, is the men's faces only, yes. right? If I recall, yeah. not the women. The men get the, yeah, because it's the whole the men get everything, the women get nothing. And then for the women, they just dump the pig blood on their head like in Carrie. Oh, boy. <laughs> They're all going to laugh at you. <laughs> yes. They're all going to laugh. Oh, boy. Yeah, so, just <laughs> one, more, one, more, one more dig at the women on the island. Let's just dump the blood on their head. Which Okay, by the way, if you haven't seen the season, they don't actually do that. <laughs> but the interesting thing is that uh, as soon as Brady grabs the spiritual stone, I feel like the first... They they bring they bring it up briefly in like the uh, the the second episode or so, but they uh, the spiritual rock kind of kind of plays a part in the next couple of episodes. But as soon as they grab it, uh, it starts raining, and uh, as Bubba coined so eloquently, he says it, it was pouring like pee out of a boot onto a flat rock. That's exactly what I was thinking when I was watching that scene. It, it is like super hard. It almost looks like fake rain. You know, it's like it's just coming down. It's almost like coming down sideways. It was like just this really really hard rain and it was just it's just one of those south pacific sort of things where it's just everything's fine and then all of a sudden it's just raining buckets and you know jeff probes is sort of under thing and he's like all right the game's about to start and you're gonna get freaking nothing at your camp women go right men go left down the beach and off <laughs> and also, they go in the dark and also women f you yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh women go off to the right go fuck yourself <laughs> <laughs> oh no alright and I think this is where we get our first confessional from Chris right mm-hmm. where he can outsmart what is it I can, I can manipulate eight men a hell of a lot better than I can eight women women are thick as thieves they stick together men are untrustworthy yeah, yeah you, you, you really were right about this uh, the Bill Paxson comparison as I was doing this rewatch <laughs> that's all I could think about 
Yeah, and it's only, it's only Bill Paxton in True Lies. I mean, some other movies as well. Again, if you guys have no idea who Bill Paxton is, he's an actor. He's in a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Cameron movies in particular. He always plays a sleazy, lying, you know, little weasel. And it's perfect for Chris because they have the same voice inflection. They just talk the exact same way. And he's not the president from Independence Day. <laughs> yes, not that's, the president. That's Bill Pullman, who's Lone Star in the uh, Spaceballs thing. Isn't Bill Paxton? He's he's a uh, Bill Heffernan in in Big Love, right? Yeah. Yes, dude. That is, that is he's so good in that though. But he's so different from the Chris slash Bill Paxton, you know, per, impersonation that Mario is is hinting at in the Funny One Fifteen because it's totally true. Yep. Chris's Chris's speech, you know, just his pattern of speech is so unique, and it, it, it's really fun. But I mean, Chris has said, you know, in interviews, he, he said that a lot, one of his big plans was he sort of wanted to do a Colby Tina thing. And clearly he's not Colby Young, but he wanted to ally and sort of have a secret alliance with a middle aged woman. Mm-hmm. And so then they divide the tribes up, men and women. And Chris is like, well, there goes that plan. <laughs> yeah, it's well, one of the things. I mean, a lot of people know this, but I'll just mention it for posterity's sake. Is Chris's shirt, his famous, he's got the red tank top with the sleeves ripped off, which on the Funny 115, I called it a wife beater, although I've been told many times it's not technically a wife beater, it's just a tank top. Chris has, has told me before, he goes, I didn't come to the game with that tank top. He goes, it was just a normal red shirt. And the day before we go out to the game, the producers came in my room and they cut off the sleeves on my shirt. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, now I'm going to be cold. Like, that shirt kept me warm. And they're like, well, you're playing a certain character. And Chris basically said they wanted me to look like some backwoods hillbilly, basically, which he really isn't. He's, he's, we'll talk more about how Chris is kind of misrepresented on the show. But they specifically cut that shirt to make Chris kind of look like this slob, just like kind of like a, a, a big fat slob. So he's always kind of taken offense at that shirt that they forced him to wear it like that because that was his character. <laughs> A lot of people might not know that's how Survivor works. The producers choose your clothes because you're playing the character they want you to play, and Chris is a good example. Yes, your clothes are, are chosen down to a T. You know, they they tell you to come with, you know, sort of unmarked certain sort of looks, and they tell you to bring a couple of colors. You know, and it's it, especially true these days. Not so much then, but you know, now that sort of the tribes are sort of color coordinated. You know, they tell you to bring certain items, and then they come and they pick what you're going to wear. Mm-hmm. And but Chris, thank- they just they just really shredded that shirt for Chris. Well, thank God they the Bob Barker shirt got through production though. <laughs> that is that the best shirt ever, or what? Like that is so good. <laughs> I completely forgot about that shirt. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, uh, Travis Bubba, as as, as we know him uh, effectually in the show, he has got the orange Bob Barker shirt. Uh, it, it's I, I I would say it's pretty famous. I mean, not not world famous or anything like that. But people who watched the show at the time and and and, and those who rewatch Vanuatu, I mean, you can't forget that shirt. It is very very distinct. Yeah, especially when Heidi saw it, she instantly knew it was about the Price Is Right. That's right. <laughs> I, would love to written- see, I would love to see Heidi on the Price Is Right. Would you not? I should point out, people have written into us over the last couple months, and and we had a little thing like, "What was your favorite running joke for historians?" Bar none, everyone's favorite is Heidi knowing things instantly. So we will try to use more of those. Okay. Done, done. All right, well done. All right, so so anyway, so this is one of these things. Again, this is this is Survivor one on one. I guess this isn't how to play Survivor, but it leads to this really interesting scene just after the. The, the the ritual at the beginning and it's them finding their camp and it's the fact that it is the the dead of night and 
you know, people always forget when you're out on an island and you don't have torches or lights or anything like that, it is really freaking dark. And so you sort of get both camps trying to find their flag, find their area in the dark, and they're both struggling. And you're sitting there going like, how are these people struggling? They're literally just walking to their camp. But you always forget when it is dark. I mean, it is really, really dark out there on on those, you know, in deserted places, you know. And it's just, it was fun because, you know, the women tribe, uh, Yasser, they they were a couple of them. It was what Amy and Scout and uh, Leanne, probably Leanne. Yeah, it was it was them. They wanted to just stop and and huddle up and just find it in the morning. But you know, mm-hmm. Eliza and a sub couple of people were like, "Come on, we got to go find our flag tonight at least." You know, and then but and they were really just talking about tr- you know just stopping you know because they were they were having such trouble with the terrain and finding their way through the 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 brush at night. And, and before people are too hard on Scout for wanting to do that, there's two things in that scene. She even mentions them. One is that they're walking over lava rock. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever walked over lava rock that's wet. There is no more slippery surface than wet lava rock. It's ridiculous. So they're walking through wet lava rock in the dark. They have no idea where they're walking. And again, I can attest to what Jay said, that having been in summer camp you know, when I was a kid, that there is no dark darker than the woods at night. There is no ambient light anywhere. It's ridiculous it's how dark it is. So you have that. And then Scout, you'll find out later. In fact, I think it came out after the season. She had a, a knee implant or like an artificial knee, but it was the wrong size. So like she can barely, it's amazing she made it to day two on Survivor. Like, she could hardly hobble. So before you make fun of her in the challenges or trying to walk on this wet rock, like, she was legitimately crippled more so than anybody in the history of Survivor. She could barely move, and she had legitimate concerns with walking at night. Yeah, Scout has trouble. And, you know, it it, it is funny at times, and not funny, haha, but it's comical, just the fact that she really just can't participate in challenges. But you do know, I mean, you know, just, just sort of looking at Scout, you could tell that, you know, she... She has been an athletic person for most of her life, and so it just must torn her up inside to be able to just be so inept just for the fact that her knee just completely failed. Yeah. And then meanwhile over on uh, Lopevi, Rory has decided to, from the very beginning, set himself out from the group as a a trailblazer, literally, by... uh, (laughs) By telling everyone that maybe we should, let's spread out. Let's just spread out in the middle of the night and we'll, uh, we'll walk along different paths. That'll help. Oh, boy. This, this walking isn't working. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Rory sets the tone nicely for being the complainer on the first day, which always works out well. Yeah. I mean, again, it's Survivor 101. Like, this was, this was driven through in Thailand. You saw it with Jed and with Stephanie and stuff like that. Like, don't assert yourself i mean assert yourself but don't set yourself apart as just you know a a hothead or a complainer or or something like that right from the get-go like lay low for a bit you know if you've got concerns try to address them very very nicely or not at all for a while like that is socially what you should do in this game you know just coming out and you know telling people they're wrong and you know we should do things a different way and you know better that sometimes doesn't go over well well, it leads to a question. Has the person who whines on day one ever done well on Survivor? I'm trying to think of this. D- done well as, as one? Like had a chance to win even. Like I know Eliza got pretty far. There's no chance she was going to win a jury vote. So it's like one of these, yeah, she got far. She didn't really do well. Well, Richard did it in the, in the start. I mean, you know, he, yes. he, he and Sue sort of had their thing on the first day. I'm, I wouldn't say Richard was like being whiny and confrontational, but I mean, he was trying to assume some sort of power position on day one. Yeah, that's the, the one obvious one is Richard. I'm trying to think of any others, but that's a good point, Richard. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but but for the most part, if you are if you are being super negative on day one, probably not going to bode well for you. Well, yeah, first impressions. I mean, they're gold. They last forever. Yep. So you have that, and then uh, but basically, both of them find their way through the dark, and and they find their 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 flag, and and they manage to get some shelter somewhat, and get some sort of weird sleep. Yep. And then uh, we get a very quick cut. Again, as you talked about before, uh, I feel like there was much more that was going on in the night, but we do a quick cut to day two, and the women are already working at the camp. And this is where we get the division. Yes, we've said it many times on the show. If most people are working, you should work, and if most people are not, you shouldn't. This is an interesting one, though, because as we mentioned, other than All-Stars, which was you know the, the three tribes of six and just something totally different, this is our first... 18 people starting the game with two tribes. That's a good point. I didn't think about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so, yeah, you got four people doing one thing, four doing the other. So who's, what's that fifth per, or that ninth person do? Right. And in and, and the women's tribe at the beginning, it, it seemed like Dolly was kind of that person in the middle. Like you had Mia and Eliza and Julie. Julie. And it always cracks me up that Lisa thinks she's a young girl. Yeah, yeah. Lisa, Lisa sort of hung out with him a little bit. But then you had Twyla and Scout over there and, you know... Yeah. Yeah, Leanne, you know, Amy worked a little bit, you know, and then you had Dolly sort of sort of floating in between. But like there was this division of women who worked and women who didn't. And it was like that is so it's tough in a, in a tribe of nine, because if four are doing one thing and four are doing doing another and they're sort of switching off, like it sort of becomes a weird thing. But to be very loudly working and sneering at someone or to be very loudly not working and sneering at the people who are, why are you doing this? You are literally just causing division. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I, when I before I went back to rewatch Vanuatu, I remembered it as the women just being way better than the men, just stomping the men. Although watching it, like the women were kind of terrible. <laughs> like they broke into little uh, sociopolitic fights right off the bat. They were not really much better than the men at all. No, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, know, I was just gonna say it's. I don't know. It's it's uh it's very indicative. Again, relating this back to to Amazon, it's not exactly the equivalent of of uh, Shauna and Heidi and Jenna bathing themselves in the river, but it's still, uh, it's still this big division by kind of age and, uh, and lifestyle choice. I mean, these are also, you have Scout, who's a rancher, Twyla, who's a highway worker, and then you have Leanne and Amy, who both probably come from backgrounds, uh, you know, they're a little older, they come from backgrounds where they have to work a lot harder, as opposed to these other girls who are like, we're, we're going to hang out in the water and socialize. They just come from two completely different lifestyles, but it's interesting that it manifests so early in the game. Like in Amazon, I feel like it really didn't take effect until like episode three or so. This one was day two. Mm-hmm. And again, I always have to reiterate that the most fascinating one to me in that equation is always Lisa. Like, why is she hanging out with the young girls? It's just, I find her a fascinating character when I watch. In fact, I, this whole watch, I've been noticing she's a much bigger character than I remember. She's in a lot of stuff. She has a lot of weird twists and turns with with her character. I mean, she she isn't in the game for you know super super long, but mm-hmm. she yeah she she's an odd one. You know, and it, it, it's really funny because not that everyone else is transparent, but you can sort of see where people are coming from. Like Scout and Twyla are sort of older and and and, and hardworking, and Scout's kind of got that you know very sort of hippie sort of vibe to her, and you got Leanne who's sort of got the got that sort of vibe around her and, and Amy seems at this point Amy seems just kind of quiet and you know put together and then you've got Eliza and Julie are sort of young and Eliza's they've talked about her running her mouth already 
yes. in this in in this episode, and then you've got Mia, who's you know sort of confrontational, and then you have Lisa. She's just sort of an enigma. But yeah, she thinks she's a teenager. Yeah, she's got the huge implant. She's running around. She's bouncing around in the challenges. She does her little sexy "I'm a little girl" dance. That's she's just an odd character. She's the cool mom. <laughs> she's the the cool mom that wants to be best friends with all your teenage her teenage daughter's friends. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, Eliza continues to make bad impressions by saying like she's a positive person, but she's there's no way the women can get fired from rubbing two quasi dry sticks together. <laughs> And I think this is where we get one of my favorite, you know, Scout, we're going to talk a lot about Scout on this podcast. I'm not sure where you guys stand on Scout. I'm a, I'm a big Scout fan. And this is where, where Scout, you know, the wise old Native American philosopher just had these cutting comments where she just rags on, bags on somebody. This one about Eliza here where, oh, these sorority chicks aren't paying any attention to any damn thing but themselves. They are their own favorite topic. I love that. That's so good. <laughs> Such a little passive aggressive mean Scout quote. <laughs> what it, what it, what do they call them back in, in her in the bowheads? Bowheads. They're like cattle. They just cluster. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Scouts. I mean, a lot of people don't like Scout. I'm a huge Scout fan. I can understand why people might, might not appreciate her because she's kind of odd and she's kind of mean. But I just love the fact that there was a Scout on Survivor. I think she was unique. Well, she's unique, and I mean, she's. I wouldn't say your type. That's not you know your type is you know flight attendants, but like. <laughs> It's it's your type of character in the sense that Scout is. I mean, she's she's friendly, right? But in her friendly way, she is super biting. Like yeah. she is so condescending, and you know, sort of not mean spirited because I think her spirit is very nice. But you know, she'll tell you what she's thinking about people, and a lot of yeah. times it isn't great. And uh, you know, she's just she has very unique ways to to sort of convey that. And and I, I think that that is a style that that is sort of your sense of humor. It, it's certainly my sense of humor. I'm a big Scout fan. Uh, she rubbed me the wrong way near the end of the season at the time. Um, but you know, just going back and rewatch, Scout is incredible. Like she is, she's an A character all the way through this season. The way I would just go ahead. I was just saying, and I think it's also testament that she. I mean, we don't want to speak too much about Scout going forward, but it's a testament that she lasts as long as she did, considering the fact that she had an artificial knee. It was basically kind of rendered almost handicapped for a lot of these challenges. I mean, you look at someone like Patricia Marquesas, or you look at Deb, or you look at Sonia, and you see that in the early days, especially, a lot of these older women were being targeted right off the bat. So on paper, you'd look at Scout, and you'd be like, oh, she's gone. First chance you get. But she was able to not only like bust her ass at camp, but she's able to make these social inroads to pave her way to the end of the game. So it's it's really impressive for someone that from the outset you think, like, oh, no, she's she's gone first chance they go. It's funny with the way, Jay, you just described Scout. It suddenly hit me how I would describe her. She's Native American Tina. That's how I would describe Scout. There you go. That's why I like Scout. She's, I mean, Tina is a southern girl. She lives out in the woods. She kind of lives in the Great Smoky Mountains. She doesn't, she's a kind of country girl. And Scout is like from Oklahoma, Native American, does all that. She's a, re, a professor of philosophy and stuff. But yeah, they're very similar in just the way you said. They are very biting in the way they say things, and you don't always even realize what they said because it was so couched in sweetness. Yep, and you, as you can see, then we cut over to Lepevi, and uh, again, there's a division, but it's just the fact that, you know, as sometimes it happens, I mean, we saw it again, again, Amazon, we saw it on Amazon, we see it in, in uh, Survivor Anuatu, we're going to see it in Survivor One World, sort of, when, you're, when you have a tribe of men very quickly, young men sort of bro it up, and the older men sort of watch the young men bro it up. 
Well, yeah. because J- JP wanted to start a fire because the Aborigines had done it. <laughs> it reminds me of like the the Zoolander when he called like, the Zoolander calls him like Aboriginals. Like I, I think JP just watched that movie. He's like, oh yeah, that's how you pronounce it. And I'm also really, really ridiculously good looking. <laughs> and then Chris has the great quote: "The JP's got the frame, but he ain't got the brain. He got the frame, but he ain't got the brain." Oh, Chris is Chris is fantastic. And Chris sort of goes away for for a couple episodes, but episode one, Chris is super strong, you know, and invisible, probably because he's going to biff the challenge coming up. <laughs> but like, he's got that he's got the thing because JP, you know, the, over in the men, they're trying to start the fire, and JP's like, "I totally saw this work. We're going to put a little notch here. We're going to bow this in, and we're going to totally get the fire." And you know, Chris is just like, "Yeah, whatever, dude." <laughs> and then the famous quote with what JP produces. Well, Am- we got Amber. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's one of those jokes that are not, not a lot of people know because it is pretty common for people to mistake the word Amber for Ember. And again, an Ember is what is created when you're making fire. Amber is the winner of Survivor All-Stars and also the yellow stuff that started Jurassic Park. I was just going to say, it's also, <laughs> it's also a great, you know, cheesy scene at being in Jurassic Park because Grant's like me. He's yes. a digger. <laughs> que lindo eres. So yeah, so JP creates an amber, which is bad. It's, it's not that bad. You know, a lot of people use the wrong word on occasion, but then he keeps repeating it. Well, amber, well not only that, he created a hot amber. A hot yeah, amber. A hot, hot, hot amber. <laughs> we got a hot amber. We got amber. Guys, we got amber. <laughs> I wrote about that on the Funny 115, and somebody sent it to JP, and he got a laugh out of it. He's like, oh, yeah, I screwed up. Yeah, just to go ahead and laugh. But he, he was a good sport about it. But, yeah, it was just a, a funny little moment in a otherwise not particularly funny first episode. But <laughs> that, that's a good little scene. And he's got the frame, but he ain't got the brain. But you can then, see there's a division there. You can, there's a division between sort of the older men and the younger men. And so, you know, it, on both tribes, you know, and, and it, it, I don't even really think it was totally associated with workload necessarily in the men's tribe. We really didn't see them working or not working too much. It was just we sort of got personality clashes on the men's tribe. On the women's tribe, they focused on work the first couple episodes. Yeah. But, you know, it, there was a clear division on both camps between older women, younger women, for the most part, and with older men and younger men. Now, yeah, I, do, you, do you know the history behind that, why that happens? I assumed you guys know this. No. The way Jay's talking about it, I realize he might not. This is something Chris told me in an interview. I talked to him a couple years after Vanuatu when nobody would interview him ever. It was like the first interview anybody even asked him to do. <clears throat> so I asked him, like, what was the deal with the age division on Vanuatu? Because you had the older guys and the younger guys. I'm like, was that smart? That's, that's a criticism you hear a lot about Vanuatu that the older guys teamed up to vote out the younger guys. And Chris is like, the younger guys, they'd done that before the season even started. He's like, we were sequestered in a hotel, and you know, you're all living together. And these guys were like, you like making eye contact. You could see it just in the pregame stuff when they're all sequestered. The young guys are like making eye contact and bonding and stuff. And like, they basically had a four man alliance the minute they hit that beach. The minute it became men versus women, they had a pre built four man alliance with the four young guys. So Chris is like, like, I don't want to vote out the young guys, but we have to protect ourselves. So, like, the very first thing that comes out that, that happens on day one is the young guys come down to the beach to Sarge. They're like, hey, we got four guys come in and be our fifth, and we'll run this game. And Sarge is like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. that like, I don't even know these other. Let's meet our, our, our team before we start pairing up. 
And so Sarge told the other guys, the, the Fat Five, as they know to be called, and they're like, well, why don't we team up? There's five of us, which seems better than four. And so basically that's how Chris described it as that's why it broke down the way in Vanuatu. And you don't see that in the episode because it happened all off camera before the season. But yeah, these four guys were kind of making a pre-season alliance before they even got out there. And the four, the five older guys basically out of self-defense had to bond together. And that's really as, as complicated as it was. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. I mean, I think it also, I think it, the division also comes from a supposed challenge prowess as well. Uh, we get this confessional from John Kane a couple of episodes, but I feel like these four guys specifically were like, these guys need us. We're not going where, anywhere anytime soon. So I feel like like they were so inwardly focused that they were pumping each other up about how big of assets they were to the tribe that they weren't yeah. even realizing what they were doing to everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think there's also that. And it, again, it, it's this whole thing where, you know, Chris has also said in, 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 in interviews and, and whatnot, uh, you know, long after the one you gave him, Mario. But you know, he also said that you know that first night, you know, during the the camp, even though Rory was like everyone go in their same dis- uh, direction, you know, the the younger boys just sort of you know huddled together and were talking together. And then the next you know day two, when they're working out, the the younger boys are huddling off together, and it was just the five older guys were sitting there, and they were like, "Really? Is that what they're doing? They're just going to leave us five here?" Yeah. I mean, four is not bigger than five. It's just an odd way to do that. It's an odd way to do it, and it's very—it's <laughs> it, sort of cocky, as as Mike was saying that they were like, "Look, we're the strong people. They're going to keep us around." And they were like, "Yeah, I know. You know, they, they. You know, probably you could have been the fly on the wall and went up to them and said, do you realize you're four and they're five? Mm-hmm. You know, but they would have probably just been like, dude, they need us. We'll just pull one of them in. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got that confidence, I guess go ahead, right? Yeah. The only thing I really think needs to come out of that, there, there's been a lot of criticism over the years towards the older members of Lepebi because, you know, they're the older, less dynamic ones. They weren't the athletes. Like, why would you vote out all the interesting young ones? And again, there's a defense. They're like, we had to. If we didn't do that, we were toast. So yeah, I think the criticism of them that's happened over the years really needs to stop. I don't think they really had much of a choice, at least not at the start. Yeah. Uh, the other the other big thing that happens in this Lepebi scene is that uh, Chad reveals his prosthetic leg to the tribe. And I think it definitely dates this season that Chad was wearing those pants that have the zip-off bottoms to them. <laughs> oh, my God, the, the, the short pants, the pant shorts. Yes. Those are like Boy Scout pants. Those are like, yeah. I mean, I totally get the functionality out in the wild, like if you're Bear grills and shit, like, you know, just the fact that you can, like, turn your, convert your pants into shorts for, for certain things. But, like, that is such a, like, suburban thing. Like, you know, just see, like, you know, middle-aged dads walking around, they're like, look, I've got these things. They could be pants, but I could zip them, and they could become shorts. Like, that was such a, like, a 90s, early 2000s thing. I remember, you know, in, even in high school, in the late 90s, one of my friends had those pants, and he was, like, bragging about them, and we were like, dude, those are the worst pants ever. <laughs> he should have gone all the way and had, like, NBA warm-up pants that just rip right off. <laughs> like Michael Jordan. With the snaps. <laughs> yeah, like Joe Bluth, his little stripper pants. <laughs> That's what we need on Survivor. People need to bring more stripper pants. <laughs> they can just, you know, to the final countdown. Just kind of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think that Chad did this in. I mean, obviously he was thinking about this and he planned this and and whatnot. But well executed by him. You know, he didn't reveal it right away. He did a bunch of hard work, and then he was just like, "You guys would say I've been working pretty hard. Haven't really fallen much. I've, you know." been pretty physically fit and they were like yeah and then he you know reveals the fact that he's on a prosthesis like i think that was really well done like you know don't prejudge me and again the first day amputee on survivor that was a big moment 
it's a huge moment. And, and Chad's a, tr- a trailblazer in that, in that sense. And, you know, now he's a running gag on the funny 115. So <laughs> well, it all comes full circle. <laughs> well, I got I to gotta bring up this thing with Chad being an amputee and it being very difficult for him and him showing he can do it. Leads to one of my all-time favorite reunion quote moments. We'll get to at the end when Chad points out. At a certain point, I was so good at it. I'm like, hey, guys, this is actually kind of hard. You give me some credit. <gasps> right. I mean, that's the thing is that Chad... I mean, it's it's to his credit. I mean, obviously, you always have to observe things, and and the fact that Chad, you know, being you know an amputee and and being on a prosthesis and and going on Survivor is a huge deal. And it, you know, it's amazing that you know he not only did it, he he thrived out there. He did really really well, and not only in challenges but just island life and and everything going on out there. But that's the thing, though, is that because he was so good at it. I mean, I'm watching the episodes. I mean, this reveal scene is very awesome and poignant and telling but it's like even though you do see chad running in challenges doing work around camp and all that stuff and he clearly has his prosthetic leg showing like because he's just moving so fluidly and you know at the pace of everyone else you sort of just forget about it right you just kind of see he's in the fold and i was gonna say i know someone has to say this it's not very nice but from a character point of view it's really good that chad had something unique about him because he was so dull yeah, I, I hate to be the guy that has to say that, but it's it's glad he had one. It's good he had one thing that made him kind of interesting. Yeah, he's a he's a teacher, right? And I mean, he just seems like just a super nice guy. Yeah, he's just Chad. Yeah, there's really he doesn't really have many moments during the season. This is really his one moment. Yeah, I except mean, when Kava tears him up later. When Kava tears him up, pretty bad. But oh, yeah, and, and and when he gets shocked. Oh yeah, yeah yes. The mouth popping open, yes. That already happened, Mike. It God. happens more, Jay. <laughs> oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> Don't you negate me. I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, sir. Am I fired? Am I fired? If you label me, you negate me by Dick Van Patten. Wow. That's from Wayne's World. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then Brady has his one good quote of the season. Great. The guy with the mechanical legs is, is going to win for sure. We're screwed. Ladies and gentlemen, Brady. He was great on Survivor. Thank you very much, Brady. Is that, is that his uh, in-memoriam segment? <laughs> that was it, yeah. <laughs> uh, All right. Let's, let's get through episode one here. Immunity challenge time. Okay, so we've, we've got an immunity challenge, and like you know, men versus women immunity challenge on, on day one, it is a multi-step obstacle course because you know, that's, that's what we do. So, you know, mud crawl and then solving a, they have to do like a four corner, like, like one of those labyrinth mazes where they have to tilt the, the puzzle across. And then, of course, they have a balance beam because you can't have a men versus women first challenge without a flipping balance beam. And, 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 and let, let's see, in Survivor Amazon, the men couldn't do the balance beam. Yeah. So what do we do? We'll make a balance beam that's even narrower and we'll cast fatter guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Chris. So anyway, if, if, you were, if you were guessing that the men are not going to do well on the balance beam and biff this challenge, you're right. Although, we, we, there was a great moment in there where Scout gets the rare double blur. <laughs> yeah. Both, so. both of her breasts pop out when she goes down the net, so we get the double Scout blur. Right, because the balance beam is sort of over a net. It wasn't like Amazon where the balance beam was literally like a foot and a half off the ground. Yeah. Like it was, it was in the air, but there was a net underneath, so that if you fell, you just kind of crawl back on the net. But once you were across the balance beam, there was sort of a net, uh, a sloping downward net that you sort of had to traverse down to get to the to ground. And uh, and Scout and Chris both were employing because Scout had trouble, obviously, 
uh, getting across the balance beam with with her with her knee and whatnot, and so they they were tra- they were trying the old strategy of you know basically hugging the balance beam and sort of inching their way across on their bellies, and uh, Chris falls even on that. <laughs> yeah, Chris fails on crawling across the beam. So, I can imagine the uh, the talk at the men's camp afterwards about how much they hurt their respective junks having to scrunch <laughs> it across a wooden beam. Yeah. Well, I love the shot at the end of the balance beam when Scout has to, you know, flip over the net and go bounding down to the bottom. Because if there's one thing you want the 80-year-old woman with one working knee to do, it's a cartwheel. Yeah, because Scout gets over. She, she, she traverses the balance beam, finishes it, but then she, like, tumbles, like, head first, sort of, like, onto this slope. And then, you know, it causes, you know, all, all wardrobe malfunctions to happen, you know, which causes the blur. But then, you know, it, it's not even really... You're not even watching it going like, oh, blur action. Oh, like you're just watching like, I mean, Paul must have just had a field day for the fact that, you know, there's just Scout is just tumbling over herself. And I mean, I was just like, oh, my God, is she dead? I know it breaks my heart that Paul isn't here to talk about this. Mm. Paul, you suck. In in Amazon, we had Heidi going down the flying fox. In Vanuatu, we have Scott, the Scout, caterwaulting into uh, nudity. So. (laughs) But yes, good for Scout. She won, and Chris lost, and, and really one of the more humiliating performances in any Survivor challenge ever. Yeah, it it was bad. I mean, this this is the first impression we get of Chris. I mean, we get some cool moments with Chris, but you know, episode one, Chris can't get across the balance beam. I mean, he, it, oh, no, it I, happened. I, I will tell you the moment that I fell in love with Chris. Again, he, my all-time favorite player, Chris and Tina, they alternate back and forth. Chris, for years, was my favorite. And it's all because it starts right here with one quote when he gets back to camp. He's like, to tell you guys a little bit more about myself, I'm not real good at a balance beam. Yeah, they're all in the water afterwards. That's such a good, like, diffusing sort of thing to say. Like, that was great. Yeah. yeah. And again, a lot of people will make, uh, I've heard this over and over and over that, uh, it's amazing that Chris comes back and does so well in the season when he was almost voted out in episode one. The truth is, he was not almost voted out in episode one. That five-man Fab Five or Fat Five alliance, that was in place from about an hour into the game on day one. So there was never any chance Chris was going home. This all needs... I mean, I know it's a great story that, oh, Chris came, came from rags to riches, but he was never in any danger at episode one. It was always going to be five versus four. So that balancing had, had absolutely no difference in who was going home. Yeah, not basically. He was not in trouble. I mean, he is said in here. I mean, he was he was concerned, obviously, because you know he figured that his name would come up because he did so poorly. But you know, he, he had made an alliance, and he's like, this alliance is going to stick, and it did. So once he saw that, then he knows he's not he's not concerning himself for you know the foreseeable future because he's in the majority alliance on this uh, on this tribe. But you know, even that. The the men split the young men split their votes because Brady totally votes for Rory. So <laughs> yeah, it's well, not I, even it's not even five four right. Like the vote yeah. is five three one. So awesome. Yeah. Brady with Brady with his his random Rory hate boner is one of the fun interesting subplots at the start of the season. Yeah, Brady has a very ironic quote when he says Rory's on his own sheet of music most of the time. When it's Brady <laughs> who completely d- ignores what his alliance tells him and just sends a vote to Rory. And uh, we can't move forward without mentioning a winner quote. You always look for the winner quotes in this episode. Here's Chris's episode one. 
This game, you outwit, outplay, outlast people. You don't outbalance them. You, you don't outbalance? <laughs> yeah. You sort of have to emphasize the balance part of yeah. that. And uh, another thing that's interesting, a lot of people might not know this, is that if you ask Chris about the dynamics of Vanuatu, he'll describe it one way, that it, he was the leader, and they all asked him what was going on. Although if you watch the episode, it's always Sarge. It looks like it's calling the shots. I don't know. Again, this could be Chris just talking out of his ass. I don't know. But he's, he's been pretty consistent with that story over the years. You know, I was the one calling every shot on everything that happened because I was the survivor expert. He's watched like every episode ever. He was the only one out there who was like a huge survivor nerd. So just kind of keep that in mind as we watch these episodes. That's, again, Chris's story. I don't know how true that is, but that's how he describes the layout of, of uh, Lopevi. Well, we'll lay, it out. we'll lay it out here that not only is Chris calling the shots at Lopevi, but Leanne is calling the shots at Yasser. Mm-hmm. And she's never shown as such. Yeah. So it's interesting to note just the, the the choices that were made to sort of edit this season as opposed to, you know, you were, you were mentioning to me this Mario off-air, which I agree with, that if this were a season that were shown now, like if this season happened now, it would be edited so differently. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. When you watch the season, it's amazing that the story of the start of the season and the story in the middle of the season is not the story at the end of the season. It's The editors had a lot of faith in the audience, that the audience would be patient and could wait through eight episodes of irrelevant story until the Chris storyline takes off. So it's really kind of a testament to the editors how much faith they had in the audience back then. Like, nowadays, you'd have endless confessionals from Chris in episode one. You'd have endless ones from Twyla and maybe Leanne, just because those would be the major players. And that is clearly not how they edited. So it's really kind of an interesting season to watch from that perspective. Speaking from an editing perspective, um, I think someone who really gets the shaft in moving this episode from 90 minutes to 60 is Brooke, actually. Uh, We only get one little tidbit of why the men decide to target Brooke. And when it's uh, Sarge and Chris have a conversation and Chris actually wants to get rid of uh, John P for being like too strong and too hot-headed. But Sarge is the one that actually suggests getting rid of Brooke for being apparently too cocky. Uh, which we don't really see. So Brooke, unfortunately, gets the shaft in terms of editing. I feel like if it was expanded to 90 minutes, we would have seen a lot more of Brooke. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Brooke absolutely gets nailed in this. Like, he's a nothing character. You don't even see him. Then he's there, and then he's gone, and there's really no explanation. And it's it's one of those, like, again, from my interviews with Chris, why Brooke went, it's, I can tell you more in, in a minute, better than in 60 minutes how they did in the episode, that Chris basically said, well, those four guys, Brooke was the only real dangerous one. I mean, JP and Brooke were the two smart ones. JP was doing fire, doing all this work. Brooke didn't do anything. And you could see that guy was dangerous. He, he was a big student of the game. He was leading stuff. So, like, we got to get him out of there. So, I mean, it makes total sense if you know the logic. But in the episode, they don't really show that at all. Yeah. I mean, th- this is one thing. Again, Rudy has said it in commentaries. And I know Rudy's not, like, the biggest survivor expert. But Rudy <laughs> did say a tidbit once where he's like, you know, that first vote, you know, you, you you don't even need a reason. You know, it's just someone says a name out there, and then you just you you just you just you just go, okay, that's the name. You know, and I, and I think the thing is, is that you know, Chris, even though he was sort of shot calling that Fat Five Alliance, he wanted JP or whatever out. But you know, Sarge was just in you know indignant. He was just like, we need to get rid of Brooke. I want to get rid of Brooke. Please let us get rid of Brooke. And you know, Chris just finally, you know, you just gotta step back at that point and go, you know what, man, if you want to get rid of Brooke, we can get rid of JP next time. If we have the numbers, okay, fine. Well, let's do it. Yep. And the other thing I like to point out about Chris is that his answers at tribal council are so fantastic. And this is something he doesn't really get credit for. I mean, later in the season when he's kind of manipulating everybody, but even at the start here, when, 
probes to ask him if he's in any danger. And I forget the exact words, but Chris says, no, I'm not in any danger. I don't feel like I am because we're all going to have bad days and we're all going to help the tribe in some way. And he's kind of, if I recall, he's kind of talking about Rory, building Rory up too, that Rory got under some people's skin, but Rory's going to have some great moments down the line. So he's, he's trying to keep everyone on the same page. Like, look, we're still a team. So it's just really interesting to see the way he handles kind of leading his alliance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking on tribal council, uh, I don't know if you guys felt this, but I feel like Jeff was almost trying to recreate the Amazon <laughs> episode one tribal council in his questioning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right, though. As, as has been said, tribal council is super long and they, they condense it. and We only see what, like five, six minutes of Jeff asking questions. But as all contestants say, most tribal councils are a couple hours long. And Jeff just will grill you. And it, it seemed like he did try to talk about, you know, hey, the women, did you look? You look at it? They had some nice tails. Yep, that was, that was Brooks, Brooks' one of two shining moments, saying they had very nice tails. <laughs> I guess they cut out the part when Sarge went on for five minutes about his erection for Julie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jeff, you, uh, you, you see that Julie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that comes. Oh, that comes later in like episode five or something. Let me tell yeah. you something, son. Which is which is ironic. If Sarge were saying, "Hey, Jeff, did you notice Julie?" <laughs> Sarge was the one who set them up yeah. together. <laughs> Why? Yes, I did. <laughs> oh, you mean? Yeah, maybe. I, yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> yes. So yeah, they, he, he kind of makes a half-hearted attempt to draw them in and see them cocky, but it's funny because it's so awkward because it never he never follows up on it. They just go to vote. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, I'm sure that he got some some responses out of some of the younger men. But, you know, this tribe is the fat five. They're dominated like Travis and, and, and you know, Travis is married or, or at least is in a relationship with kids. You know, Sarge is is older. Rory is married and has kids or, or you know, at least has had some family life. Chris is, you know, is with his girlfriend. Like they're all sort of committed. So, like, yeah, I guess, you know, you could comment, but like. They're not really going to, I think, disclose a lot of, yeah, look at them women. Awesome, right? So it wasn't like, I mean, in Amazon, it, it just seemed like a lot of those guys were up for volunteering more information on that front. Yeah, I think they provided the guys with Viagra before the first tribal council, so <laughs> they were all ready to go in Amazon. Well, at least Brooke went out with his head held high then. He did. He has great final words. And again... And through the era of the Russell Hanses and the Mike Scoopins and people complaining poverty after the season, well, I should have won. Like, I love Brooks' final words. He's like, I got absolutely 17 people just absolutely schooled me in the game of Survivor. I got beat. I mean, I love him for that. Those are great final words, and I appreciate that. That's the words of an athlete who is a good sport. I got beat. What can you do? Yeah. I mean, you, you always have to look at – you always have to look at what, you know – what sort of threat you bring. I mean, when you get voted out first, you can take it a couple ways. Like maybe you made a horrific mistake and you got voted out. Maybe you were just the random target of somebody and you got voted out. But a lot of times if you're getting voted out first and especially, you know, in later seasons, you know, at the beginning they voted Sonya out first cause she was kind of weak and, and they were, they were uh, sort of fearful for, you know, her being alive out there in the Island. And, you know, that was sort of a thing, but you know, as more mo- Survivor gets more modern, they realize that, you know, if you've got a chance early to take out somebody that you think is going to be a threat down the line, you got to do it. So a lot of times getting voted out early is a badge of people saw you as dangerous and they had to vote you out, which I guess isn't super comforting. But, you know, that's the way Brooke can spin it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, so that pretty much wraps up the first episode of Vanuatu, which 
it's kind of interesting because I hear a lot of people describe this as a fantastic first episode. Now, I don't hate it by any stretch of the imagination, but it's again, it feels so rushed to me, especially the second half. I can't possibly call it a fantastic episode. I mean, I think it was a decent start to the season. What do you guys think? Um, I would I would say so. The, the big thing I'm going to keep saying as I go through rewatching the season is that it's just so much better than I remember it. And especially, you know, I feel like uh, our taste has been soured a little bit watching a lot of, unfortunately, modern seasons where it seems like we have like maybe two storylines that are fleshed out over the course of a 60-minute episode. Even in this episode, over the course of 60 minutes, we had at least four or five storylines fleshed out in addition to the coloring of a lot of different characters. So even though we won't see Chris for a couple of episodes and, you know, Twilight's a little one note, Eliza's a little one note, I think it was a really nice introduction at least to the characters and it definitely built up this, uh, this battle of the sexes twist. Yeah. I feel like we got to know a lot of people in this episode, even though it did feel rushed, you know, people got significant airtime, even Mia and, you know, people that aren't, you know, that are going to go away really, really, really soon. Right. So like there's that, I, I think that the start of the episode just with the, with the Vanny watching tribe is really good. And, and just the fact that, you know, even if you know what they're doing, they're, they're trying to manipulate emotions. The fact that, you know, they're pitting the men against the women and they're trying to, you know, just rile up men versus women emotions. I think they, it's shown. I think that the opening ritual is good. I mean, I agree with you that, you know, it's sort of very clear right off the bat that there's clear divisions and then nothing really comes of it. And then they vote along those divisional lines. So, you know, there's, there's nothing super dynamic that goes along as as far as that goes, but we get a lot of stuff. I I think that you're right, Mario, that the editing is a little choppy on the first episode. I I wouldn't say it's the best first episode of all time, but it's, I think it's solid. I still think it holds up. No, I agree. It's, the only thing that really jumps out at me is there's not really a breakout character in the first episode. There's one, not really one person that you knew everyone would be talking about, like a Rupert or someone like that. Which no. admittedly, I mean, the argument is, is that a good thing, but I'm going to skip past that. But I'm curious who you think the producers thought would be the breakout star in the first episode. And I'll tell you right now, my hunch is I think they thought people would gravitate to Scout and Sarge just because they were kind of the eldest ones and they were kind of like natural leaders. Yeah, I think, well, I, we, we saw a little bit with uh, with Ken in Thailand as well. I, this is still at a point, you know, they were they had just gone into Iraq uh, about a year or so ago, and I think the military was still held in, in pretty high regard. So I think bringing in this uh, military man, the first one since, I think, Frank in Africa, mm-hmm. the producers were definitely pumping him up. And the fact that I remember reading, like, a spread in Entertainment Weekly before the season started, and even then they... They had him listed as Lee, but they like emphasized the nickname of Sarge. Yeah. So I think they were really building him up as like this is this great American hero, military man, and he's here to play your game of Survivor. Yeah. And what's funny is he's not really that major a character as the season progresses. It's kind of interesting. Like I do think they thought he would be a little bigger deal. Do you yeah. guys feel he, he looks like a Baldwin to me? <laughs> a Baldwin. Like if like if a Baldwin ever played. On the island, I feel like it looks just like Sarge, especially when Sarge starts growing in the facial hair. So he's like the older Baldwin that would bully Alec all the time. Yeah, is that his first name? Older? Yes, older. Well, older Baldwin. Of, older yes, Baldwin. Speaking of first names, it's something interesting. Mike brought up is that even Probes refers to him as Lee the first couple episodes. Sarge doesn't pop up until about episode three or four. Just that watch for it. Yeah, just watch for it. Right. It, 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 it's always a, a good. Um, Again, a good divide because nowadays on Modern Survivor, and I'm not saying this is a good or bad thing, but, you know, like Coach, for example, right? Like, what is Coach's name in the opening credits of Survivor Token Chains? 
Is he Benjamin? No, he's coach. He's still I, I coach. Think okay. he's coach. Yeah. It's it's literally coach and like dreams, right? Like a lot of the more modernish seasons, if someone has like a very apparent nickname that that's what they go by, uh-huh. you know that they usually just flash that up on the screen, right? And 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 what's fun is that you know Sarge, I don't think asked people necessarily to call him Sarge. I think you know that's just something that he's a sergeant and you know in the army, and it just sort of comes about sort of naturally. But mm-hmm. like even 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 Bubba, right? Like yeah. you know he's very clearly nicknamed Bubba, but he's Travis in the opening credits. It's ah, a good point. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the in the opening credits, it's it's Lee. It's not Sarge. And so you know, even though we we learn to know these players, it's sort of like this fun even though it's not insider by any stretch of the imagination, it feels very insidery because you watch the opening credits. It's Lee, but he's not Lee. He's Sarge. Yeah. And, and they, they took it beyond the, what we did. They did with Roger Bingham in Australia, putting like Kentucky Joe in quotations next to his name and his confessionals. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Although that does that, that reminds me, it was it heroes versus villains where they started calling him Poopert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Roll it on Poopert's toe. <laughs> All right. Poop, for those of you who don't know, Poopert is a very common nickname for Rupert on the internet message boards, and it's one of my favorites, even though people hate it. So there you go, Poopert. All right. Let's go to episode two, the Woo! famous Dolly episode, or as I like to call it, Dolly Channer, Channels for Inner Christie. Mm-hmm. Oh, Dolly. Again. Doll- go ahead. No, you, you go. I was just to say, Dolly reminds me so much of Amber Atkins from Drop Dead Gorgeous. <laughs> oh, my Amber God. That's Atkins. so good. <laughs> Well, it's funny. At the time, a lot of people said she looked like Britney Spears. That was the thing at the she time on the message. She sort of does. Yeah, so she's like Amber Atkins meets Britney Spears. Well, I mean, you never know. And it's like with everything. It's like with Stephanie Dill, right, in, in, in Survivor Thailand. Like, when they cast these people, in order to be cast on Survivor, you have to be super dynamic in all yeah. of those interviews. They don't just take someone who's milk toast and say, hey, you – you have no discernible awesomeness. Go out there on the island and, you know, maybe you'll grow a personality. Like, you know, in order to pass all these tests and all the screenings and all the interviews and, you know, to be able to be selected for Survivor, you know, you have to bring something to the table. But the problem is, is that when you get out there on the island and you're sleep deprived and you're starving and you're, you know, in this intense fishbowl of this social game that's going on, sometimes people's personalities shrivel up. And it, I would have loved to see, you know, all of Dolly's stuff because she, again, maybe they thought she would be a big star because she was this shepherdess. Mm-hmm. You know, she seemed to be, you know, rough and tumble and she was, you know, you know very good looking. She's yeah. cute. And you were like, this, this, she could be a breakout star. And well, she's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah Do- I do remember Dolly had a pretty high popularity rate on the, on the CBS message boards at the time. Oh, my God. Dolly, yeah, I was... Dolly was I was super into it. Like I, you know, when when they showed Dolly, I was like, Dolly, all right. Like I, I was like, I hope Dolly does well because I want Dolly to be on my TV screen. Yes, I was, you know, just gawking at Dolly, but like I was, I was really pulling for Dolly. And I mean, this is a train wreck of an episode if you ever have one. Mm-hmm. I wanted her to be my Mount Rose teen princess. <laughs> does she? Does she also again dates herself by wearing a Life Is Good hat? Oh my God! Yes, good reference. I don't even get that reference. What is that? That was a that was a brand. I think again, mm-hmm. like the early, the late, the late nineties and uh, early two thousands. It's still around to this day. But like oh. that, I believe Life is Good was like the company that had like the little stick figure as its mascot. I I have no recollection of any of this. I think that was the year I was living in Montana, so I just don't really know what was going on. 
Was, was your Paul stalking that bad? <laughs> yes. Holy crap, dude. Just following boys in middle school around. Hey. Hey, are you making more YouTube videos? <laughs> this no, is Mario. Yeah, I was not following boys around middle school. Let's just lay that on the line right now. Uh, anyway. So All right, episode two, the Dolly episode. The Dolly episode. I mean, we get more camp stuff. And again, I love this season, and, and, and I've said it before, this, this episode, and especially stuff with Dolly, this is textbook Survivor. If we want to learn how to play Survivor or not play Survivor, watch Survivor Vanuatu, especially these first couple episodes, because people are just going to be biffing things left and right in this, in, in this, in this episode, just socially. This is just a lot of stumbling, and, and I, I really was interested to watch a lot of it. <laughs> you know what I have in my first notes for episode two? I just wrote, you know how Paul had a random person that he just hated on every season, like Gene, who just absolutely loathed everything that came out of Gene's mouth? I just wrote, I bet Paul would hate Lisa. Mm. There's something about Lisa I just think would strike Paul as the person he hates. So just for future reference, when we bring Paul back on the show, that's the first question I want to ask. What do you think of Lisa? And I just want to hear the tapestry of profanity that comes out of his mouth. (laughs) That works. Lisa seems like personality pushy. Like you know, well, no, it's like you know, it's like Rory in a way, like on 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 Lepevi. It's just like you know, if she wants to do something or say something, like it's going to be said and heard. Yeah, gonna go bye bye, gonna go bye bye now. Yeah, Yeah, when Lisa has a thought, it will come out of her mouth. All right. Sorry, I interrupted the Dolly love with the with the evil Lisa stuff. All right. Well, I mean, these, these these first few minutes are uh, are, are pretty, you know, the pretty early Survivor wildlife oriented segments. You know, the men are they don't have fire, they're cold, they're eating bugs, uh, but the women aren't doing so well either. Uh, they're you know they're trying to get hoisted in trees to get plantains. They they find their their plantains are maggoty, but uh, Twilight still eats it. You know, it's like protein, eat them, shut up. <laughs> Let's not forget the scene that everyone was talking about on the message boards at the time of Lisa climbing the tree and her implants squishing out all over the place. Yeah, yeah she wasn't she wasn't wearing a bra, I don't think. No. It was the most obvious implant thing. I I just remember everyone talking about that scene on the message boards. They're like, "Oh my god, did you see her boobs popping out?" So, if you just want an interesting little scene, just go watch that little moment where she's climbing the tree. And even my wife is like, "Ew." She is like you know, they even sort of make light of it. Like she's sort of swinging the machete up there and she's like precariously on people's, you know, hoisted up on people's shoulders and hands. And like, she was like, Oh, the machete. And they were like, Oh my God, don't drop the machete. And like, she sort of almost did. And I was just sitting there thinking about that. Like, Oh my God, like she, she nearly killed somebody. Yep. And most of them wished it would have been Eliza. Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, Eliza's talking a lot. (laughs) It, it, it it's tough because you know she she's around you know fast talkers in, you know in, in in her time and it's just not going right. But that that whole confessional with Twyla about the maggots and all that sort of stuff. Like I know that you really love Scout and I'm pro Scout, but I am super pro Twyla. Twyla is TV gold. I don't know what it is about her, but like every time she has a confessional, I just get this huge grin on my face. Like she just says just the way she says things. She's so blunt and mm-hmm. like to the point. And she doesn't under you know she doesn't understand certain people, and she's just like I don't understand these people. I mean, it is so good. She's kind of like Helen in a way, in that she's stern and unyielding, but she's kind of giggly at the same time. Like you watch Twilight, she giggles a lot. 
she's she's giggly though about the stuff that she that she wants. I mean, we we'll talk a little bit in the next episode about how like she she has a very clear disconnect with the rest of the girls in her tribe that want to be feminine. You know, she's just going to sit there in her oversized yellow shirt and just eat her maggoty plantains and be happy. Yep. All right, so Dolly's getting all sad now. The game's too hard for her. It's not worth it. <laughs> yes. It's tough. I mean, she does, unlike other people that have, like, broken down and quit, it, it quit and wanted to, to leave Survivor, I mean, she's like, this is hard. She's like, I still want to be here, but this is more than I thought. And it's like, well, GG, Dolly. <laughs> yes. All right, so what do we got here? Uh, so the women, so the young and old women are still bickering at each other. Twyla hates all the young girls. Uh, now we cut over to the Lopevi tribe. And this is where JP, John, and Brady are now whining that they're screwed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, JP directly confronts Bubba about the way he voted. And Bubba kind of uses the family excuse. And JP's just quickly hammering him, being like, well, if I had kids, would you, uh, would you, would you vote with me? So JP is, is uh, just digging his hole deeper and deeper and deeper. He's digging yeah. it. He doesn't understand. And it's, 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 I, I think it's a very male thing, you know, especially in Survivor, you know, when, when young athletic males see them getting voted out and they're just like, why are you voting us out? We're young and athletic. But we're the dynamic ones. We're interesting. You know, and I do love that. Was it they're walking back from tree mail or they're walking to water? And I just love that, like, Bubba just thought, you know, just stops. Says, All right, you want the truth? You want the honest truth here? <laughs> you too much of a threat. You are so damn handsome, so damn good looking. I just want to make sweet love to you every time I see you. <laughs> oh my God, deliverance. <laughs> One thing that always strikes me when I watch these episodes is I'm always amazed Bubba wasn't really a bigger character because you think he kind of would be. Yeah, he, he was one of those. Yeah, he was one of those that like Sarge, who was kind of a big character at the time, but never really entered the pantheon of big Survivor characters. I'd like to point out that Bubba has a quote. It's either in the first or second episode. Watch for it. Uh, it's so good when he's talking about like, "Yep, they asked how I slept last night. I say I slept like a baby." Woke up every couple minutes and cried. <laughs> that's so yeah. accurate. As a parent, that's so accurate. <laughs> There's nothing I hate more than babies that wake up after four minutes. Yeah, I, I think Bubba's legacy was unfortunately ruined by his actions in episode five. I think that's the thing that people mostly remember Bubba for, but I completely agree. He was another person I completely forgot about with his confessionals. And he he's like that Southern comedy gold, you know, and coming off a season of Big Tom, we were really aching for that. So I was happy to get Bubba for these few episodes. Yeah. I mean, he it, says when he, when he, in episode one, when the boat tips over and he's just like, the boat tipped over. And he's like, they told us we were going to get a boat out. And that's good. Cause I ain't learned to swim, but six months, six weeks before I come out here, you know, and you're like, <laughs> Oh, this is great. Now, do you think the fact that he was a ginger and had no soul hurt him? Oh, oh always. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I just, wa- I just wanted hindrance. to say that. It's not a serious question. That, 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 that's a super hindrance. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, he has... I, I use this quote to this day, and it's, I don't think it's come up in the first two episodes, and I, I forget exactly when it is, but he says to somebody, they need to build a bridge and get over it. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like episode five, and then they... Not to skip too far ahead, but they, then they bring it up multiple times, like, Bubba, we had this conversation before, and you again told us to build a bridge and get over it. So I love that that's his catchphrase. <laughs> I still, I still use that in in everyday lexicon. Like a lot of times, you know, when I'm you know dealing with 
with students or something like that and say they're like, I need you to find some stones and rocks and I need you to build a bridge and get over it. <laughs> it's a good quote. It's mm-hmm. it's super good. And I have to thank Bubba for that. You know, Bubba Bubba had was great confessional and you know, it it shows you that he was he was wacky in the sense that he was sort of an over the top personality, but he I never really got the feeling that they cast him to be some sort of buffoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just a normal guy who, you know, was able to string words together in a, in a fun way. Like he just seems so normal, but yet he, every time he had a confessional, it's, it was funny. And so I, I think that that speaks to not only just, you know, who they were casting at the time, but just, you know, the greatness in confessionals that is Bubba. And again, I do have to point out that as greatness as some of his quotes are, no one really ever cared on, on the internet about him. That, yeah. Again, it's just one of those things about Vanuatu. Just no one really took to it. Which, all the elements is, of all the elements of a decent season are here. It just didn't click with people. I know, and it's such a shame because it's so fun. It's so good. Like going back and watching these first two episodes, watch Bubba's confessionals. They're funny. <laughs> he was a good soundbite machine. I will give him that. Yeah. Do we want to skip ahead to the Richard Hatch Sue Hawk Memorial Challenge? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this is the. The uh, challenge designed to get as many genitals to touch as possible. <laughs> I actually do like the concept of this challenge because it does sort of, you know, it, it engenders that sort of trust. Uh, they they repeat this challenge, don't they, in Survivor One World? And they, they do they it do. every once in a while. And it's just, you know, basically the, the tribe members are on a narrow beam. This is the reward challenge, by the way. And I think the reward was for, like, pillows and blankets you know the 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 bs reward right so like basically they're on a narrow beam of water and basically the person that is furthest away from the end platform has to work their way past everyone else on this narrow beam without touching multiple tribe members at a time and so basically it's just a matter of like you have to like you and the person have to like hold each other and get navigate around each other and (laughs) yeah yeah, you have have to grind you have to grind basically Mm -hmm. Now the only I, I this is a fun challenge and I enjoy it. I don't I never did appreciate it and I still don't when I watch it now the when they try to mock the men by playing all the romantic music which I think is just kind of crappy. It's just one of those when the men are against the women, it's just the way TV works. They want you to root for the women. That's just natural TV. But you don't have to mock the guys too. I just I always kind of took offense at that little scene. I think it doesn't really need to be there. So do you think when Rory was talking later about being classless, he was actually talking to the producers? Exactly. I think he was. He was referring to all of us, Mike. <laughs> he was referring to this podcast. He knew we would be mocking him. So anyway, the men have trouble because they have trouble with balance as it goes. And so the women win this challenge. They win it pretty handily with, you know, Mia at the end, right? Doing the <laughs> yeah. nice shuffle over. Mia Jeff, doing her little dance. That Jeff calls a moonwalk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeff, known for his uh, knowledge of Motown dance moves. <laughs> So anyway, like the women win the challenge, they win the thing. So the women have now won two out of two challenges so far. But what's great is that you know they they go back to camp and Rory is pissed. Well, not not super pissed, right? He's slightly perturbed. <laughs> that was classless. Did you see that dance by by Twyla? What was that? Show some class. And You're so, a grown woman. Yeah, he gets the name wrong. He calls her Twyla. Yep. And and what's great is that Sarge is like, I didn't. I wasn't offended by it. And Rory's like, dude, look, show some class, right? And Sarge's yeah. like, well, we lost. Yeah. If you were a man, would you have taken that Sarge? You would have kicked her ass. And, and this is the thing. This is back when I was talking about earlier. Like, 
I totally agree with Rory. Like, <laughs> I'm one of those, you know, hey, don't don't rub it in. Don't, you know, I I, I play a lot of, you know, I, I play Dota online. And I mean, the, the people in that video game are, are notorious for, you know, just <laughs> throwing in insults, you know, when you don't need to. And every once in a while, I'm just like, come on, guys, show some class. Yeah. And, and I'm totally with Rory here. Like, they totally didn't have to do that. And Sarge is just like, well, I wasn't offended, so you shouldn't be. And Rory's like, that's not the point, right? Like, I'm totally with Rory here. But, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe maybe handle it a little better is, is all I'm saying. That was nonsense. <laughs> uh, now I want to see, see Rory play Halo now. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. I totally shot him. What? <laughs> It's I want to see Rory rage quit every board game he ever plays. <laughs> yeah. He just he just he just RQs out. That's great. <laughs> but no, I, I wanted to go on record, Rory. I agree with you. Show some class. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, uh, Mario, are you going to take the mantle of impressions this uh, this season? I've been doing a Rory impression for like 10 years, so I'm just finally having excuse, I have an excuse to use it, which I basically, if you've ever seen the uh, In Living Color, the Brothers Brothers, oh, Damon boy. Wayans, yeah, yeah. hey fella, you stop that. That's basically my Rory impression. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I have to point out Rory, Rory has a, a uh, famous uh, legacy in my world. He's the only person in the history of the Funny 115 who hates his entry on the Funny 115. In that he wrote me and told me how much he hates it. So there you go. He's the only one person in 13 years who's taken the time to tell me that. Would you say he was slightly perturbed by his entry on the Funny 115? I would say it was nonsense. That's well, how, many, how, how many exclamation points did he use? <laughs> I don't, well, that's the thing. He has one entry in the Funny 115. And the entry is about how Rory has no sense of humor. So the fact that Rory wrote me and said it's not funny, I think is kind of fitting. <laughs> So anyway, that's Rory, and that's my history with Rory. He's the only guy who's ever written me and told me he doesn't like his entry. So anyway, we we get back to camp uh, with with we show more stuff with the Osser and whatnot, and we're just seeing that oh look, it's an age division with with Lisa. But uh, they hear some they hear some garbling, don't they? They do hear some garbling. Did you hear garbling, Mario? I heard garbling. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I lo- I always love the 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 just out and out just search for the chickens on islands it's always great well isn't they don't kill the chicken but they get the eggs they do get yeah. the eggs and then they, so they basically them over. Yeah, yeah, they basically kill the chicken's entire family just not the chicken which is horrible well the eggs don't run <laughs> that's true they do if you don't cook them uh, thank you we're doing set, fine we're doing set, fine here setting you up for that but what i love is that they get the eggs and then they have them in the pan or whatever and then they tip the pan over it's classless <laughs> that's that's their carve effort for, for moonwalking. <laughs> yes. So they're not just going gluten free; they're going protein free. So it's one of those new diets. But yeah, so they the whole egg hunt, chicken hunt is a fail. Uh, we kind of get past that scene. The other thing that's kind of interesting here is where Sarge. I, I, we need to mention this because it's important later. Where Sarge decides, I really don't want Rory in my alliance anymore, and this will be, kind of become a running theme for the next two three episodes. It's tough because Sarge and Rory, because Sarge is used to being in charge, right? Like he's yeah. he's demonstrative, right? And it's like even though Chris was calling the shots, like Sarge is you know running around being Sarge, and I think Chris was, it was cool with having Sarge do that. But you know, Rory, even though you know Rory was loyal to the Men's Alliance, like he never broke it, you know. But Rory was yeah. just going to say what he wanted to say and do what he wanted to do. Like you know, he'll vote with you, but 
don't tell him to be at a certain place at a certain time or to do this or do that. He's going to do his own thing. And, you know, with Sarge, that doesn't fly. So they bickered. I mean, it, w- it was like a married couple. Yeah, and that's one of the things Chris wanted to point out when I did my interview with him about the season, that Sarge was constantly trying to get Rory out. He never, ever, after the first episode, did he want Rory in that alliance. So Chris was constantly trying to put out fires. Like, look, we have five. Just ride the course. Put up with him, and we'll win. And Sarge always wanted to take him out and bring in Brady instead. So that's the one thing Chris said he and Sarge were always at odds at, that Sarge wanted Rory out, Chris wanted Rory in, and you can tell who had more pull in the tribe because Rory stayed and Brady went. So that's Chris, how he pointed out, if you want to know who was calling the shots, look who ended up staying. It was the guy I wanted to stay. Yeah. Hmm. But also, you know, this, this shows Chris's knowledge of the game because it's like Rory is not a young, attractive male who, you know, is wanting to flip over to the women at the drop of a hat. And, you know, he, he was loyal in voting. So Chris knew he could, he could count on him for that. And, you know, Chris is like, do I really want to go to the merge with Brady? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's young, attractive, you know, smart, seems to, you know, get along with people probably wanting to flip at the drop of a hat. Like, why would you keep him? Yeah, that's a good point. Chris knew his stuff. That's the thing. He wasn't just some rookie that was figuring out this game. This guy knew his stuff. He knew his stuff. I mean, I, I will say full disclosure, Chris is one of my favorite characters of all time on Survivor. And, you know, you said earlier that, you know, Chris's story doesn't really kick into gear in the in the until like the final third of the season. But there's yeah. a reason for that, I feel like. Even though he's calling the shots here, he's in a pretty comfortable position on this alliance because they got the numbers right away in this yeah. alliance. But but Chris is gonna make some mistakes in, in a little bit. So we do have to point those out. But uh, you know, he'll 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 turn them around. I just have a quick little aside that people will like. This is a story Chris told me that you know, Chris, he knew every minute of every season ever been on Survivor. And he shows up the first day on Lopevi, and he doesn't want people to know that. He doesn't want people to know he's some Survivor expert. So, like, Bubba, the first person, comes up to Chris, and he's like, hey, do you know how to play this game? And Chris is like, I don't know. I just heard that you need numbers. So Bubba's like, all right, so let's make an alliance and make some numbers. And then Chris said later, and Bubba admitted later to me, the only reason he came up to me is because I had a ponytail. And for some reason, Bubba inherently trusts guys with ponytails. And so that was a major reason of why the season played out. It did just because Chris had a ponytail. Hmm. Well, I guess I guess uh, then Chris was lucky that the producers went and cut up his shirt. <laughs> See, <laughs> yeah. You come, uh, you know, a guy with a tank top and a ponytail comes across as pretty non-threatening. <laughs> well, it just I shudder to think if Coach would have been there, Bubba would have been following him around like he was a fucking disciple. <laughs> Bubba would have been assistant coach. <laughs> I'll have to ask Coach about that one. I'm not sure that he's quite assistant coach material. Look, look, look. Iron sharpens iron. That it does. All right. So we're going on to the immunity challenge here in episode two, although there's a quick little uh, <laughs> a shot of the uh, spirit stone where they put it up on a pole again and it starts raining, which I think is the second and last time the spirit stone is mentioned this entire season. Yeah, I believe so. I don't even know what happens to it after that. They could have thrown it in the ocean for all we know. <laughs> right. Fucking spirit stone. Or, anyway. or, or they bring it to a cave to give to Vincent Price. Yes. Is that a Brady Bunch reference? Yes, that was a Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii reference. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> wow. All right. So now we're going to the immunity challenge. And this is the one where they uh, are blindfolded and have to run out and find puzzle pieces. And you have the uh, two collars. Yes, but, but notice that the puzzle pieces are not 40 pounds and can kill Tom Buchanan. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. 
And Scout wisely, they put his, his collar, right? They put, they put Scout his collar, and they have Sarge's collar. And it's like, <laughs> well, let's take the tail of the tape here, right? You have Scout, who, who seems like a genuinely nice person, and you have a drill sergeant. Yeah. yeah. And he actually, at one point in the challenge, yells, left, left, left. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is a nice flashback for Sarge. It, what's funny about the dynamics of Yasser or Yasser is that they have two people who are absolutely worthless in challenges, Eliza and uh, Scout. Yet because Scout is the respected elder with a knee that doesn't work, they always put her in the non-athletic position of the collar or the gatekeeper. So poor Eliza gets thrown to the dogs every single challenge. <laughs> and she even bitches about it later in the pig challenge. She's like, why can't I be the gatekeeper for once? Yeah. Yeah, that, and, and Eliza has a legitimate beef. I mean, that's the thing. It's got to be said. So anyway, this is a multi multi part challenge. The the people are sort of paired up and blindfolded, and uh, the caller has to navigate them out to find their pieces. You've Lope seen this before. Lope. Yep. Sorry, I was trying to mess you up. Look, look, you are messing me up right now. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, sir. <laughs> That's classless. <laughs> so anyway, like, yeah. Lopez. Look, you need to just shut your hole right now. <laughs> That's good. Sarge is the caller. And, and that what we're alluding to is what happens is that, you know, they're going out and they're in their, their pairs and they're blindfold. They're collecting their pieces, bringing them back to a mat to where when they collect them all, they can un- undo their blindfolds and then do a multi-step sort of puzzle and climb up to the immunity victory. But what happens is, is that once they get down to like one or two, you can see Sarge with the strategy. Like this is super good strategy. And like the women sort of bitch about it when they get near the end, we're like, there's only one piece left. Right. So he had, there are like three pairs of, of guys out there. And so, so two of the pairs are just near home base and Sarge just sends the one pair out to collect the one piece. Right. So like Rory, is like, where do you need me to go, Sarge? You know, and stuff like that. And Sarge's like, you need to stay right there. You know, and like, you know, Rory's blindfolded. He doesn't know. But like, Sarge is like, I don't need you right now. Just stay right there, right? So then they finally find the piece. It's like out in the water or like near the, you know, sort of far out, right? So then he's like, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Come to my voice. And then Rory is like, well, I'm standing near Sarge. I'll help. So then Rory starts yelling, you know, hey, Lopevi. 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 And you can understand why he's doing it because he's just shouting and, you know, hey, come come to the sound, right? But, you know, Sarge is calling out, right? And Rory's, like, trying to shout over him. And you just get this great moment where, like, it's the total, like, drill sergeant face. Like, you just see him over there and he's just got, like, the intense eyes. Yeah. And he does that, like, hand motion where he's, like, got, like, the palm out. And he's just like, you are messing me up right now. Wouldn't you love to see Sarge and Rory on an, as an amazing race team? Oh, Wouldn't they be, be the fantastic? Oh, that'd be great. Why are we on? The, why did you get the aisle seat on the plane? Because I wanted the aisle. I get the aisle. <laughs> Every little thing they do, they hate it about the other one. It's funny. And then Sarge, three Sarge seats ta- further on the plane. It'd be further out. Sarge keeps talking to the other teams about like I need to get rid of Rory. <laughs> Why'd they seat me in the back? That's classless. I'm on the auction block here. <laughs> I know auction block. We're gonna get up to that in a minute. <laughs> oh boy. Rory's gonna start turning everything into a slave metaphor, which is wonderful. <laughs> It's super, super uncomfortable. I'm yeah, thank saying. you, Rory. So anyway, um, what you know, what, and the thing is, is that in most of these challenges in Survivor history, when there's a caller, 
the challenges are pretty notoriously close, like it, just the way it pans out. And with this one, it's no different. You know, Sarge, the Lepebi does have a steady lead throughout most of this challenge. But they get near the end, Sarge, they get all their pieces, they're untying their pieces, they're starting to work on their puzzle. And basically, Scout sort of miscounts or mis, mis, you know, doesn't know where all the pieces are. So, like, basically, a pair of women come back and all the women are at the board. And she's like, all right, that's good. Take your blindfold off. And Jeff's like, no, you have one out there. And, and so, it, it's like, you know, Scout totally biffs this challenge because she, you know, loses track of the pieces, which is, which is just super fun, right? And then you can just see Eliza and everybody getting so angry. Yes. Yeah, well, especially because they ask her, like, Scout, is there another one out in the water? And Scout's like, oh, no, no, there isn't. Don't worry about it. Oh, no, little one, there's no more child. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and, and, and the men have a big lead, and they, they stumble on the puzzle, but they basically, uh, I don't think it... You know, there's always, you know, editing, but it didn't seem super close. The Lopevi just, you know, completely, you know, dominates this challenge once Scout basically biffs that that fact that, you know, she missed a piece out in the water. And then Sarge gets to do his jackass celebration dance of his own. Yeah, say my name! <laughs> Grabbing his crotch, say my name! Well, he's like, say my name, and then he says Lopevi, and I'm like, that 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 is neither Sarge nor Lee. That is <laughs> that is not your name, Sarge. He has a third nickname now. And Rory's like, I thought I was saying Lopevi. <laughs> this is my rifle. This is my gun. <laughs> yes, that's, that's what he was going to do if they won the next challenge. <laughs> this is for fighting. This is for fun. I, I, thought, I thought he was going to sing Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> yes. All right. So the women lose, and this is where they go back to camp, and they have a split. Four versus four with Dolly in the middle. And it's tough because we did see earlier in the episode that Twyla was talking to Dolly because Dolly is working. You know, it wasn't a clear, clear division on workers versus non-workers. But, you know, Dolly is, you know, she's she's a hard worker in real life. And, you know, she's working with Twyla and Twyla sort of ingratiates herself to that. So Twyla's like, hey, you could come with us. And then she goes down to the young women and the young women are like, hey, we young women need to stick together. Right. And she's like, oh, my God, decisions. Mm-hmm. I should point out there's one thing that I, a lot of people don't catch about the season, and it kind of comes in passing when they're talking about you know who's calling the shots, who's running the vote right now. The two people that are mentioned several times in the scene are Mia and Julie. Mia and, Mia and Julie are the ones calling the shots in this tribe. Just remember that later. That comes in handy later when Julie has the, uh, the rug yanked out from under her twice in a row. Yeah. So anyway, you know, it... it, it the, the younger tribe, the younger women are trying to, you know, figure out what to do. So, so they want to get Leanne out because they see that, you know, she's some sort of threat. And then the older women are trying to target Eliza because Eliza is, well, loud. Yeah. <laughs> and Dolly, of course, again, this is the Survivor 101, what to do and what not to do on Survivor. Dolly is caught in the middle. And uh, what she does then is she decides to tell both factions that she could go either way. Yeah, and then, I was going to say, as Scout replies, she uh, she nearly dropped her teeth because basically Dolly comes up to her and says that she's going to vote for Leanne. Yep. And it's just the, at this point where Eliza and Amy basically play the Rob Sesternino role where they say, this chick has way too much power. Why are we letting this freak have all this power? Why don't we just vote her out instead? And that's what exactly what happens. Eliza decides to team up with the older women just to take out Dolly, and it's a big blind side for a lot of people. It's tough because when you look back in retrospect, this happens 
quite a bit. I mean, it, it happened to Christy, but it's that whole thing where if you are the swing vote, don't tell people you are the swing vote because then all of a sudden you are the target. This is classic Survivor. This still holds true today. Please yep. don't do it if you go out on Survivor. Do not announce that you could go with two sides. That is not going to work well for you. And, uh, you know, Do- Dolly does it, and, well, it doesn't, it doesn't work out for her. But, you know, it's a tough move because you can totally understand why Eliza went against her young person's alliance because she was the one that was getting her name written down. Mm-hmm. She yeah. felt in trouble. She made a move to, to change it. But the problem is, is that that screws her over. It does for a lot of things later in the game and it's like you can totally understand why she did it but mm. yeah it screws her over it screws julie over it's going to screw lisa over then it's going to screw eliza over again next episode when it's just it's just a good short-term gain with some horrible political uh, ramifications yeah and then poor dolly really never really was built for survivor she's probably just too nice i mean got at no point did i think she was scheming or manipulative or like trying to play both sides i just think she was too nice and couldn't really commit Maybe she was shepherding sheep at Gabriel's commune. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, um, no, I, I think that, yeah, you're right. Dolly was just, yeah, she, I felt like she, she just did not understand really how, how you're supposed to do this game. Yeah. You know, and she even admits as such in her final words and stuff like that. You're right, though, Mario. I don't think that she was trying to manipulate manipulatively play both sides she just was i'm caught in the middle and then she was like hey guys can i talk to you for a bit i'm caught in the middle here and it's like what oh why'd you say that oh no yeah she just doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings and again you can't really say anything bad about her because she seems like a good i mean only a good person would have that instinct like i just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and it's it's very indicative that she says she's relieved that she left she's uh, i i do not want to see what would happen and when the pressure kept building on her so i think she got out when the when uh, it was good for her as well yep so in this case Brittany really was that innocent yes this Brittany. yes <laughs> this Brittany who wasn't Brittany at all yes i'm that's serious that's what people called her on the message boards people said she looked like Brittany spears i see it i mean i i yeah. I, I see it I see a circa th- 2004 Britney Spears, absolutely. Well, yeah, of course. All right, so episode, we're all done. And then, oh, I got to point out that the two people who really got screwed in this were the leaders of the Younger Girl Alliance who were in total power. They thought they had this thing on autopilot, and that was Julie and uh, Mia. Again, the people that were mentioned earlier as being the ones in charge, they have the rug completely pulled out from under them. They get blindsided. And it's even worse because it's going to happen to Julie and the exact next tribal council, too. So Julie has a rough start here. She's a good player who has some really extraordinarily bad luck when her allies all start bailing on her. So just keep her in mind. Keep her in mind. She's a good player. Keep Julie in mind, people. So we get to see the fallout carry over immediately into the next episode. And, uh, you know, Eliza basically kind of going back to them. Basically, this entire episode from the female perspective is Eliza going to this alliance on her knees begging them for her trust back. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) Eliza is kind of an interesting character. She's really popular on the message boards. A lot of fans like her. She does a lot of interviews. She's personally helped me with the Funny 115. She gave me a quote for both version 1 and version 2 and gave me a bunch of insider info. So she's a really cool person. But it's, it's fascinating to see how on Survivor, no one who has ever played with her has ever liked her after the season. She has an amazing way of making people hate her. Well, 
you know, Eliza <laughs> speaks her mind. You know, that if there's one thing you can say about Eliza, it's that she's going to speak her mind. She's going to tell you how she feels. She's going to tell you what she's feeling. Loudly and with many words. Yeah. And, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But in the game of Survivor, when you're in that pressure cooker, yep. sometimes, you know, people don't take to it very well. Yeah, let's remember that we're only seeing Eliza for 42 minutes at a time every week. And th- in that case, her incessant talking is quirky. If you're living out on an island with her where you're experiencing her 24 hours a day for more than a month, it can, uh, it can get on your nerves. Yep. You know, it, and it especially gets on a lot of people's nerves in a lot of ways because, as you can see, Eliza, Eliza is going to go far in this game. And what's very – I think what speaks very well about Eliza and something that – that is a positive is that she she's a survivor. She survives a lot of votes. She gets a lot of votes thrown her way in this season. She's never really going to be floating under the radar in a lot of senses. And so she's always sort of going to be a target and she manages to survive it, which, I think she, which is good. I was going to say, I think she herself has described herself as the cockroach that nobody can ever kill. Yeah. I think I read her use that phrase once. It's a good term. I mean, it's a good phrase. You know, so she's going to have this interesting run where she's going to always sort of be a target. But the problem is, is that there are probably people who talk a lot out on Survivor. You know, uh, Helen, of course, with the recipes, you know, uh, in Survivor Thailand. And, and I'm sure that there were just, you know, various men and women that have played this this game that just can't stop talking. But it's like... Jenna Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> but, with, but with Helen, Helen was you know, in a voting majority for most of the game. So it was yeah. just an annoyance people had to put up with. Eliza was not always in a voting majority in this game. So when, when someone who's not in a voting majority is doing it, I think that people, you know, sort of get more annoyed with it because it's like, we can get this person out. Yeah. And I, I think Vanuatu is almost a season of cockroaches, it seems. Uh, <laughs> just because I know, Mara, you brought up earlier that Chris's story really doesn't coalesce until the end game. I would argue that this first half of the game is really about two people. It's about Rory and it's about Eliza and Mm -hmm. how every episode they're brought up as targets, but every episode they seem to escape. And it's uh, definitely indicative that for a long time, Rory held the record for the most votes against a person in a single season. We'll see now in in almost every tribal council Rory goes to, he's going to get a vote against him. So I feel like this season was just populated by all these people that were not they were being targeted constantly, but nobody was following through with the plan, which might have been another reason why people weren't so receptive to this season to begin with. Yeah. You know, Rory finds one hell of a lot of fishers. Fishers. <laughs> we'll get to that. Fisher. This might be, I oh know, it's coming up, the episode. All right. Well, we get, we, we get more here. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the women are talking to Eliza and just basically like, did you change your vote? And, you know. Uh, all that sort of stuff. And, and this is a more Sarge and Rory stuff. You know what oh, I yeah. mean? This yeah. is where Sarge is mad because Rory's always leaving camp and going for walks. And Rory's like, you know, Sarge wants to dictate when we eat, when we take a crap, when we work. I'm a grown-ass man. I don't take orders real well. Oh, yeah. That's the first time I ever heard the term grown-ass man. <laughs> it it might have been mine, too. It was awesome. Yeah. I've heard it many times since then. It's, apparently it's a thing, but Rory was the, ter- the trailblazer here. This is tough. This, episode three is a good one, though, because this is, a, this is one of the first kind of twists we get in the game. Mm-hmm. That, that genuinely throws everyone for a loop. The was gen- it the Double, double Tribal Council? Yes. This is, oh. this is the, I believe the uh, title of the episode is called Double Tribal, Double Trouble. Yeah. Fuck that. All right. Here we go. The first pointless twist that was there for no reason. Well... 
I think it's there for a reason. Again, they started with 18 people. You gotta, we gotta whittle people down. Yeah, it's, I, I never liked that episode. It was just so pointless at the time. I understand that logic. It's like, well, why did you cast 18 people in? It just it ruins the drama a little bit when people are being voted out for no fault of their own. It was again, this you have to reiterate to people that this is the first time someone went to tribal council without actually losing an immunity challenge. You were just going to go anyway. Which is kind of, it just kind of sucks. That kind of goes against Survivor. And I know it's happened so many times since then that nobody really bats an eye. But at the time, I just remember thinking how pointless that was. I liked it at the time, and I like it on a rewatch. And I, and I think the, the reason is, I mean, you're right. It's tribal immunity. If you win tribal immunity, you don't go to tribal council. But every few days, you do have to go to tribal. I mean, you have to go to tribal councils to whittle people down. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really see it in the sense of avoiding. And the thing is, is that unlike, you know, outcast twists or other things, like this affects both tribes equally. Like they both get to, they both have to go to tribal council. So I'm cool with twists like that where, I mean, I was cool with the outcast twists, even though it was completely unfair. But I mean, as far as twists go, this is a pretty fair one. It's you're both going to go. Let's just play for some stuff. And I think it did help the storylines for both tribes that this happened just because I feel like the writing was on the wall for both tribes in terms of what was going to happen next. So this episode was a nice way to kind of fast forward and say, like, okay, that moves along. There's one less person in the minority alliance. Let's see what happens next. Yeah, and I agree with that. I totally understand the logic of that. I just don't like that Survivor puts itself in situations where they have to fast forward. Like, you know, the, some of the season, the earlier seasons, there was no reason to ever fast forward because the dynamics were always so fascinating. Even in a pagonging, it was still fascinating to see what the dynamics would be leading up to that vote. So I just I just don't I just don't like the fact that Survivor will intentionally put itself in situations where they know all right this is boring let's fast forward like they should be able to get around that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that, but you know you can always make the counter argument of you know if 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 you only got 16 and you can't fast forward and you've got total duds. Yep. You know. And you just start making up a story. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> There's that. So anyway, the, the twist here, when they get to the challenge... Wait, 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 wait. Whoa. You're glossing over one of the best fights of the season. Absolutely. Oh, wait. Oh, shoot. Yes, I did. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Mia versus Twyla. Mia versus Twyla. Yeah, I, w- I was going to talk about that and we got sidetracked. Yes. So the, the fallout from the Tribal Council on the women's side, even, even more than you know uh, them talking about Eliza and what she did, is the fact that at, at the Tribal Council in Episode 2... Jeff asks a question asks a question about work ethic and he asks it to Twyla and Twyla responds that some of the women aren't working very much. Mm-hmm. And this is when Mia kind of just decides to salt the earth and essentially, you know, I mean Mia didn't seem like the most uh the most well-reserved person to begin with, but she I think she's just kind of letting all her anger and her feelings out and uh, the next day, I think Julie is the one that brings up the idea of like a work rotation system. Uh, that Twyla was suggesting, and then Mia just kind of goes off on her. Well, yeah, and keep in mind, Mia is still furious that her alliance pulled out from under her last episode. So she was the queen of the of the hive. She was the leader of that alliance, that tribe, more than likely. All of a sudden, it was yanked out from under her. Now the elders are in charge. They're telling her they're lazy. I mean, she snaps, and there's probably a reason why she snaps. That's a lot to put up with at once. It is a lot, and it's funny because she's yelling at Twyla, and Twyla's just sitting there. I love it. Twyla's like, sitting there, like, sharpening a machete or something. Yeah. And, like, Mia is just like, you called me out. You know, that was such a, that was such a, you know, bullshit move to call me out. And Twyla's like, well, you're not working. <laughs> yeah, it, if it's a damn lie, you'd be right, but it's the damn truth. And what I love is that Mia's, like, 
Mia sort of contradicts herself in her argument, and it makes me laugh every time because she says, like, you know, you know, we could have been out getting firewood, but you did it. <laughs> or, you know, we could have been, you know, we could have gotten up early and started that fire, but you did. She says something like we could have been doing that work. Uh-huh. And I'm like, but yeah, yeah you, you could have. Like, that's the whole point. You could have been doing it. I don't care. I'll kick the scrawny bitch's ass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And, yeah, Twyla is great. She's great in the competition. She's great in the in the interview after that. But what's funny is that Mia is, like, mad, basically saying, you know, we work. And, you know, Twyla's like, no, you were out swimming. She's like, for, like, ten minutes. And, you know, Twyla's like, you didn't do anything. And she's like, we could be doing things. <laughs> yeah, but we aren't. And, and Twyla's like, yes. You know, you can just see Twyla's face like, yeah, you could be. You really could be. You know, it's interesting. One thing when I watch these episodes, what a big character Mia could have been. It had things worked out a little bit differently. I mean, she's fiery. She's got a mouth. She's aggressive. She wanted to just kill the men. I mean, it's one of those one of those characters, like I would say, like Trish in Pearl Islands. Something goes a little different, and she's a major survivor figure, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, just you, a kind of a shame. You can see why she was cast. Like, you know, she she seemed like, not only I think she, could she have done well in the game, you know, she was, you could see why she would be made for TV. And she's my cousin, so it worked out well. Yes. I don't know why you shortened your last name. <laughs> well, after that Twyla fight, I was a little uh, embarrassed. <laughs> but she could have been working. I mean, she said it. Uh, anything right. more to say on the Mia fight? Nothing more than that other than this is where Eliza says, all right, I'm fully back with the young girls. And then Lisa tells us, you know what? I'm not fully back with the young girls. So yeah. this is where some more funs are going to happen to Julie and Mia here. All right, then we, now we head to the challenge. Yeah, so basically they get to the challenge, and Jeff's like, well, you're both going to tribal council. No. I'm glad they, he did that. Yeah, they show Eliza saying that at least 12 different times in all the various recaps. He's like, you're both going to tribal council, to be clear, but what you're playing for is one tribe's going to get a reward. Also, the tribe that wins the reward gets to be in an immunity challenge. Basically, uh, it's going to be an individual immunity. So you get the sneak preview of the immunity necklace and all that stuff. And it's, it's, one, of these, it's one of those work your way out of, an, uh, out of locked cages. So, you know, there's not untying in one and the grappling hooks to find keys and then, you know, some sort of slighty, puzzly sort of thing. So it's, yeah. you know, with, with a cage. So it, it's, it's your standard, you know, and, and again, I don't want to gloss over and say it sucks or anything, but it's your standard survivor. Get your, yeah. get yourself through gated locked doors through either, you know, manipulating knots or unlocking or rescuing keys or fishing keys. Well, so, you know, what I wanted to say is that the, almost the entire rest of this episode is challenges or immunity or tribal councils. Yeah. Not a lot, not, not a lot of time for, you know, uh, a yeah. lot of camp life here. And again, this is the first episode in Survivor history that's ever been like this. And so, I kind of again, I kind of reiterate that Vanuatu was not popular at the time. The audience it just didn't really seem to click with them at the time. And it, it's in, in particular, I think these first three or four episodes, while there's some good moments, it's there's it doesn't really stand out as an excellent season. And and that becomes important when you're watching a season live because it's a month of time. People kind of forget that that's a month of TV. It's not like you're rewatching a season in a day. You get skipped through four episodes, five episodes. Like if if people aren't really invested in these characters this season yet, that's a long time, and it's hard to recover after four episodes. So I will kind of defend America and the Survivor fan community at the time for not really getting into the season. It really isn't kicking into high gear yet, and that's all I can say. I, I know 
you guys still disagree with me, but I I just think this whole episode with all challenges and tribal council and no almost no character development is kind of a, a, a bummer. Lucep, but I think that the Mia fight was great at the beginning, and you get some good development, and there's a great character development season or er, scene after the challenge. Uh, I'm not sure, but we'll get to that in a second. I don't know mm-hmm. what that one is. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So anyway, they 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 run the challenge, and uh, Lapevi wins the reward. So they win, and the reward was fishing gear, which you know will have great Rory scenes in the future with fishing gear. But uh, you know, and then there's a fun scene, like the the second part of that challenge was. They were behind a locked gate, and they had to do grappling hooks to, you know, grapple keys that were on rings. And, like, first of all, like, JP, I think, like, loses one of the grappling hooks. Yeah. And then Rupert shouts about it. (laughs) Rupert? Where was it? In the sand! (laughs) (laughs) You know, and then there's the scene of them getting it back, which is funny. But, like, also, they have Scout up there doing the grappling, and, you know... I know you love Scout, Mario, but, like, Scout not only didn't hook any rings, like, she never made it out toward the rings. <laughs> no, Probes has, yeah, Probes has that great, great quip. Scout, you gonna throw that thing or dance with it? <laughs> well, just imagine if this had been, like, 20 seasons later. You know, Probes would have been calling her, like, the worst human being on the face. <laughs> like, Scout, the worst ever at everything. How, how are you even breathing? How can your children love you, you riddle, rig- <laughs> Withered old hag. <laughs> Scout invocating the devil's name as she brings <laughs> havoc to her teammates. Poor Scout. But yes, he's at least somewhat nice to her by Jeff Probe's terms. Yeah. So anyway, Scout not great on the grappling hook, but uh, Pevy wins the reward. They win it quite handily. And then uh, they get the individual immunity challenge, which was, oh, you had to like, oh, you had to dig out like ladder rungs right and then mm-hmm. you know assemble the puzzle ladder because the rungs are all kind of different on the ends mm-hmm. yeah. but anyway uh john kenny here's your moment buddy yes thank god john kenny got a shining moment <laughs> i think john kenny is known in the survivor community these days because he's a male model and you know a particularly attractive one at that so you know you see a lot of john kenny model shots but john kenny in this game not not super dynamic must say but uh <laughs> He wins this immunity, so so good for him. And then Probst drops the, fi- the the final bomb of this uh, the, this gimmicky challenge with the double tribal council and the immunity and the individual reward and the individual immunity, which was John Kenny having won the 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 immunity for for the men's tribal council. He will not go back to the men's tribe. He will go to the women's tribe and spend the afternoon with them. And the men's tribal council will be first, which he will join back, and then. When they leave, he will stay behind, and he will give his individual immunity to one of the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Vanuatu has a really interesting thing of uh, of almost unnecessarily complicating things. And I feel like this was one of the big things of, like, you're going to go back to the camp, you're going to talk to the women, you're going to give immunity to one of them, but before that, you go to your own tribe, even though you don't know who to vote for, and you're going to vote with them for somebody that did it is needlessly complicated. I'm yeah. not going to I'm not going to go on board and say I really loved all this. Like when, that's one of those things though where like in practice it actually works quite well. Like yeah, he he should be spending time in his tribe. I I understand it. I don't need this twist. I'm not saying that I absolutely love it or something, but like in practice it's pretty fluid. He goes back to the women's tribe. They go to tribal council. He just hangs back, gives someone immunity. Like it works pretty fluidly there, but to explain it and have to go through all the thing it is kind of complicated. 
I know you were wondering if I was going to be able to work my stories into a Vanuatu podcast, <laughs> but that this is a twist I never would have done in a story because it's so there's so much exposition and complicated, you know, explaining it to everybody. I just, it's it's pointless to do in a story. That's why I, I don't really get behind it in the episode either. It's just too much exposition. I'll tell you why I liked it, and what I like about it is what you were complaining about. There's no camp scenes. The camp scene after this is super great. I have to say, this is where John goes to the the women's tribe, right? Yes. All right, yeah. let's go into that. So anyway, they get back from the challenge. John Kenny has won his immunity necklace, and he is back with Yasser. And basically, they get back to the camp, and they're all talking around. John Kenny just stands up in front of them and says, all right, so Dolly got voted out. Who, who else got votes? And they were like, Leanne got votes. And he's like, all right, everyone who voted for Dolly, raise your hand. Go <laughs> over there. I'm going to talk to each of you separately. And it's like, on the one hand, that is such a horrible move, but on the other hand, that's so freaking brilliant. Like it's so badass, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It, it, it's so awesome, and like I thought this whole thing was like way fascinating. Well, it's funny. Again, when I was talking to Chris about the season, he he loved one of his things. He wanted to reiterate over and over in his interviews that you never see on TV is how stupid John Kenny was. And Chris was like, we would just sit around and make fun of this guy because he had never seen Survivor. He had no interest in Survivor. All he was there for was his modeling contract. He wanted to be a model after the show. He barely showed any interest in anything the entire season. They just sit around and make fun of when they could get rid of him. So to watch this season is fascinating because he actually kinds off comes off as kind of a badass here. Yeah, he um and he's able to like it's actually a brilliant move. He doesn't even realize it in that like he's just dividing the women further into these camps, even though there's a really interesting uh, idea that when he takes all the the majority alliance aside, Eliza keeps emphasizing to both him and everybody else that it was just a one-time deal and she's not necessarily going to vote, go vote with them this time. I, I love that, yeah. she uh, Eliza attaches herself to John like she's a barnacle. Like she's not going to leave. And then he has that great quote. He's like, you know, I'm sure Eliza's very nice, but oh my God, could you please stop talking? Yeah. You know, and... and- it's not good play by Eliza. Like I understand what she was thinking. You know, she wanted to basically say, look, this is not a hard and fast Alliance. And I want everyone to know that, but it's like, again, not stuff you need to volunteer out loud. Yeah. But, but unfortunately for all that talk, John decides to go with this whole philosophy of like, well, I just want to do something that won't make them mad. That won't make them mad. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, it's actually not a bad move. He's thinking long term, which is, from everything I've heard about John is staggering that he was thinking long term. But yeah, it's he's like, you know, someday after the merge we'll all meet up and I want to make sure they don't hate me, which I can't say is a bad move. I like that thinking. No, I think I think it's funny because he stumbled onto the right solution yeah. for the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah. Like he didn't Just, want he didn't want everyone mad at him after the show, but it's like ultimately you don't want to give immunity to someone who's in trouble because then, you know, it just, you know, some, some weird stuff will happen. I mean, he gave it to somebody and was just like, look, this isn't going to matter. You guys have your own thing. I'm not really going to screw with it. Like, I actually think that's, that's correct because the, the second he inserts himself in there, yeah. then it could create a whole host of problems down the road. So just, you know, taking a back seat is the correct move, but he arrives at it for the wrong reason. That's hilarious. You challenge a woman, she'll cut your head off. 
That's right. He, he opened up the back door. But no, it's funny. It just I just think, what would have Russell done in this situation? And he does the exact opposite, which is great because whatever the opposite of what Russell was do is, would do is usually the right move. So like, don't do what Donnie don't does? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Goofus and gallant? <laughs> Um, All right. But there, yeah, there's not much more to Yasser in this, except uh, the, the younger girls meet up again. Again, Eliza says, I'll vote with you guys. But Eliza wants to vote for Scout, and then the other girls don't. And then Eliza just quips, fine, don't trust me. I'll flip. <laughs> Great player, that Eliza. Great social game. <laughs> Sorry, Eliza. I know you're listening to this. I apologize. Jay said that. Well, <laughs> anyway, no, it... Well, what's what's funny is again this this is quibbling because you know Eliza wants Scout out, but you know Mia is sort of shot calling and she wants Twyla out, and it's like it's funny that that Twyla and Scout are being targeted, you know, at this moment, and it's like Scout and Twyla are sort of kind of gonna be huge movers and shakers down the road, but uh, yeah, interesting. And now we go over to Lopevi, and this is, yet again, Sarge wants to get rid of Rory, and this is where Chris comes in and says, this is not the time, Sarge. <laughs> no, this is not the time. And I, I've heard Chris in interviews, he's like, Sarge, it is non-negotiable. Rory stays. Yeah, and that's the thing. Rory, Sarge was not calling the shots. And no. Sarge would present his opinion, and Chris would tell him to fuck off or not, basically. No, and, and he, we need to remember... We need to remember a couple of things from this uh, that we've we've said in this podcast many times. Number one, Chris was calling the shots, or it, it seems from all things that Chris was calling the shots yeah. uh, over at Lepevi. And two, it was not edited that Chris was calling the shots. Like it, it, the clues were there. I'm not saying that they, you know, sort of washed it over, but like Chris is not shown as some sort of like mastermind on the Lepevi tribe at this point. Yeah, yeah, they're hiding him. They are hiding Chris, just as on Yasser. It was it, it, we don't know it yet, but. Apparently, Leanne is calling a lot of shots, yeah. but, you know, they're not showing that either. And that Leanne thing, I have to point out, Chris is the only person who's ever told me that. So you got to take that with a grain of salt since he actually wasn't on that tribe. It might just be what he's heard. But, yeah, he was very insistent every time I talked to him that Leanne was really the brains over there. And so when you take her out, they kind of fell apart. She was the one holding everything together. So there was too much infighting among everybody else, but Leanne was kind of the peacekeeper. Okay. I, mean, I, could, I, could, I could see that. Yeah, there, there are such big personalities that you need that. As we'll see with Aris in Exile Island, you need that same presence to kind of hold everyone together. Yep. So we come down to Lepevi, and it's going to be JP or Brady. Which one of the young, fit, dynamic men are they going to get rid of? And this is where we lose JP, right? We lose Mm -hmm. JP. Now, JP is one of those guys, I think he could have been a fantastic character. I think he was one of the guys the producers were expecting to be a breakout character. And again, he's like Mia. It just didn't happen. And it's really no fault of his own, just numbers. But it's kind of Vanuatu kind of suffered a little bit that some of their breakout characters just got neutered really quickly. But he he had his time in the sun for these couple of episodes, and then he goes on to do solitary a few years later, and he uh, I think he makes it to like fourth place in that one, and he's a he's a pretty big breakout character. on granted a very small Fox reality show, but uh, at least he was able to kind of improve on his record that time. Now, I've never seen Solitary, and we got a lot of questions from people that wanted us to talk about it. So if you guys know Solitary, why don't you kind of explain it to people who have never seen it before, why JP was such a big deal on there? I'm trying, I, I haven't seen too, too much of Solitary. Um, basically, to, to define how the game works, I think, again, I saw this a long time ago, uh, basically people 
the, the entire process of the game are kind of trapped in these solitary cells. And uh, occasionally they'll do challenges, but these challenges kind of are meant to test and break the spirit. So there's one of, like, setting up 400 dominoes. There's one of, like, standing on a bed of nails. Um, and JP, I believe, came off as, like, the villain of his season almost. Uh, he's had this rivalry with this guy, kind of like a Bobby John and Jamie type of rivalry from Guatemala. Uh, and JP was kind of a, the, I think the big thing they marketed him as is a former reality star and a, a, like a high school football star as well. So he kind of came in as like, again, as like the big buff guy, the buff jerk, but he was able to make it a lot further into fourth place this time. And uh, I think he, he made a much bigger impression than he did in his, uh, in his what, like six days in Vanuatu. Yeah, and people, over the years, I've gotten countless emails from people that tell me, oh, you have to watch Solitary. JP is one of the greatest reality contestants on all, of all time, and I just haven't got around to it. I don't watch that many reality shows, but again, if you want, if you are interested, check out Solitary and watch JP. Apparently, it's well worth seeing. All right, I have now nothing we, to add. <laughs> all right, well done, Jay. All right, and so now we go to the Yasser uh, Tribal Council, where... John comes up, he gives his immunity necklace to Amy because it's the most boring choice and it will affect nothing. And he gives us a little douchey little speech like, I think you guys should figure it out on your own. It's like, well, thanks, Dad. Yeah, like, you have some problems, you need to work it out or something. Like, like what? Yeah. What? Is that a Brady Bunch speech? Thanks, Dad. Yeah, it's basically the equivalent of the dad like locking the teenage girls in their room to, to talk through their <laughs> issues. I'm sorry, did a fucking mechanical bull operator just lecture me? <laughs> Wow, was that was that walking nonsense? Just saying something like, uh, here's here's the question though. What would you have said something? Would you? I wouldn't have given an explanation. I would have just been like, I have reasons. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. The yeah. less less info they have about you, the better. I agree with that. I mean, I mean that again. That's a whole John Kenny thing. He had the, like a little speech and wanted to say something. And it's like to me, the move is you give the necklace to someone, and literally, if I could just walk out at that point, I would. Yeah, drop the mic and walk out. Yeah. <laughs> or just, you know, good luck, guys, or something like that, and, you know, just just walk out. But if, you know, you have to go back to Jeff, and he's just like, you gave the necklace to Amy. Do you have a reason why? And just look at Jeff and go, I have my reasons. <laughs> okay, there's a great speech here that I have to point out. This is Amy. You know, where Twyla goes off at Tribal Council where I don't relate to women, I only relate to men, these women are ridiculous, you know, I just don't have any idea how to talk to these girls. And Amy turns to her and goes, have you even tried to relate to them? And Amy gives this really great speech. You know, sometimes girls just want to do girl stuff. Why don't you talk to them? Why don't you braid your hair? Why don't you do girl things? Like, you, you're not even making an effort. And for as much as evil edit that Amy's going to get later, and Amy got a lot of crap kind of from people for being cold-hearted, that is a wonderful speech. I love that speech. Yeah, that's, that's my big thing with Amy as well. It's kind of like the Jerry condition back in Australia. Everyone remembers, like, oh, Amy was this huge bitch. But for these first four episodes, really until the switch, Amy is kind of under the radar and not really seen as anything big. And even when the switch happens, yes, she's seen as evil and, you know, girl power, but she's also, like, painted as a, a very realistic person. It's not like nowadays what you see with people like Corinne, where, like, she's a one-note bitchy character. Amy has a—she she cares, and she has a lot of uh, positive feelings towards her tribe. So her reaching out to Twyla like this is just a, just a symbol of uh, how great of a character she is in general. She is, and, and that's the thing. Survivor really needed big characters again after All-Stars, after All-Stars just kind of scorched earth the entire franchise. You kind of needed to reboot. 
And it took a while. There was not a breakout character for the first couple episodes of Vanuatu, as we can kind of see. There's a couple struggling to become big characters. They don't really make it. Chad, you think, would be a great character with a story, but he's so boring. We lost Dolly. We lost JP. Amy is going to become the first big character post-All-Stars. It's not yet. It'll happen in a couple episodes. But when she happens, it, it hits big. She was a big character. And again, you'll get in the argument if she was a villain or not. It, it's, that's kind of a pointless debate. I mean, you could go one way or another, but she was a big character, and you, that, there's really no just debate about that one. She was just a, she was the standout in the middle ex, uh, episodes of Vanuatu. She absolutely was. I mean, Amy, Amy is a star. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, Vanuatu, they, two people have played again from Vanuatu, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, Eliza and who? Amy. And Amy, Amy yeah, it. just those two. Just those two, you know, and, and Eliza comes back because, you know, Eliza is, you know, I mean, she, she, she ticks a lot of boxes again, right? You know, she's, she's a young, attractive female who is, you know, very strong-willed and, you know, rubs people the wrong way on their tribe, right? Like, excellent. Put them back on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like that, is, that is great and, and all power to her. And, and Amy is, I feel like Amy is the breakout star in, in yeah. Vanuatu. You just said it. It, it is totally true. She is a big personality. And maybe, maybe your complaints, Mario, ultimately uh, with this season is that, you know, Amy is not, she hasn't broken out yet, right? Yeah. And yeah. she doesn't even really break out here, but you're right. Like, this speech is great because, you know, you always think Survivor from a practical term, right? Like, you know, with the working versus non-working thing in the camp, you know, obviously we have to take sides. And a lot of times we take sides with the people who are working because it's like they're just trying to build a shelter, get firewood or something like that. And and the other people are just being lazy and not contributing. And, you know, we usually are like, oh, why are they being so lazy? I mean, there are times where the workers are seen as villains. I get it. You know, it usually has to deal with the majority. But, like, Twyla is just basically, even though she's been super awesome in all of her confessionals she just is kind of this one note like they're not working they're not helping they're just dumb young girls right and it's like amy has kind of been working you know has has been sort of you know working working with uh with building the shelter and stuff like that and she just turns and says can you go to their level yeah think about it be empathetic yeah like okay they're not working maybe take a break and figure out their interests if you tried to talk to them if you tried to figure out what their backstory is and it's like uh, that is such a genuine and good thing to say mm-hmm. and, and, and it, it, it shows awesome. it shows knowledge of the game yeah by the way i hate that you said mario's complaints about vanuatu because again i have to reiterate this is my top five favorite season i love the season it's just it's just not vanuatu yet that's, that's all i can say it's it kicks into such a gear later that it's kind of kind of uh noteworthy when you point out that it's really not there yet it will get there it's just i don't have a lot of complaints i just like pointing that out well yeah but uh, by the same token i mean chris is an a plus character and chris is sort of invisible for the first part of the season amy is an a plus character and amy is sort of invisible for this first part of the season but we have rory and we have eliza who i would say maybe they're not a plus characters but i would put eliza in the a range of characters like she is great television right like Big Eliza fan, as far as you know, just putting her on a season. My goodness, right? And she's getting lots of exposure right now, and so so it's pretty good. Yeah, I would agree with you that what you think of these first couple episodes does revolve around what you think of Eliza and Rory. And I was never the biggest fan of both of them. They have grown on me over the years. I still think as a character, Eliza is a little overrated, but not so much in Vanuatu. Just maybe more later in the later seasons. But yeah, it it really is the Eliza and Rory show, and they are the two cockroaches that you cannot kill 
So anyway, uh, you know, we get to the vote here, right? Oh, and we lose another great character. Your cousin. My cousin yes. Mia. But uh, Scout has another great, uh, <laughs> passively aggressive, bitchy voting confessional. Oh, this is, oh my god, do she it. She holds up for a vote for Mia and she goes, Your volcano erupts more than I like. Good luck finding a husband who will put up with you. Oh my god, <laughs> that is so mean. <laughs> and you know what's funny? I just looked on Survivor Wiki. Mia is still single, so apparently Scout was very prophetic. She never did find a husband that would put up with her. But has Mia wanted a husband? Well, we're not going to get into that. I'm just I mean, saying Scout Scout is very wise. She's the wise old Native American uh, woman. I, I suppose. It, it, that, that is a super passive-aggressive thing to say. I'm so glad you pointed that out, Mike, because when I was re-watching that, I about fell off my chair. <laughs> With that, I was like, oh, Scout, you're fantastic. And what's funny is that might not be in the top three meanest things Scout says this season. Probably not. I yeah, mean, not. That, oh, whole, that whole singing at Sarge is like number yeah. one. That's not even words. And one thing, another thing that Chris mentioned to me that never got shown in the episodes that was very important is how horrible Scout and Twyla were to Eliza. He's like, you know, in the episode, it looks like they're kind of mean to her. They're condescending. He's like, you have no idea how mean they were to her, especially Scout. Like, just things Scout would say to Eliza right to her face. And so, and Chris is like, you know, Eliza, she talks a lot, but she's the sweetest girl in the world. But like, if you had seen the stuff that they were saying to her when the cameras weren't around, it was ridiculous. So Chris just wanted to point that out, that Scout has a vicious streak a mile wide. Oh, I, I don't doubt it for a second. <laughs> I think that, I think the poor yeah. Eliza was put through the ringer yeah. by those, by and Scout I should and Twyla. I should also add an asterisk to that to say that Chris was scared to death of Scout. He was the only she was the only player he was scared of because she was smarter than everyone and she was meaner than everyone and everyone knew it. So give, we got to give Scout a little respect here. She's a little scary. I give her tons of respect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that I think that she. Well, it, it's tough. I mean, here's the thing. Final fi, at, at the final three, it's it's Chris Scout Twyla, right? Let's say yeah. let's say uh, you know. Let's say Chris doesn't go to the end, and it's it's Scout Twyla in the end. Who wins? Oh, Scout seven nothing. Yeah, Scout yeah, it's wins, not even right? Close. Like Scout, Scout with one knee almost sweeps the season. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it, it, it's that close. I mean Scout is good. Yeah, she's not she's not Mama Kim here who kind of sneaks into the end there. Like Scout was a legitimately good and scary player, and again, Chris will be the first person to tell you that that she was amazing, that she was probably the best player, and he's lucky that he got past her. All right, so let's finish this one off. Uh, this is where Mia goes home because, oh, look, the, the Young Women's Alliance fell apart again. And this time it was Lisa because she didn't trust Eliza. So once again, the power player, Julie, who had all the votes wrapped up and was running the show, has the rug yanked right out from under her. And she sits there and looks like the, the little girl whose puppy just got run over. The last shot, she looks so sad. And it's, again, it's just the stuff... I have to point out when I've long argued that Julie was a great player who just had a lot of bad luck, but she really has bad luck here in Vanuatu. Yeah, she's 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 the chess player that basically can't keep her her pawns in line. Yeah, she's got pawns with uh, ADD. She can't. They're just going to act on their own. No, that that's Guatemala. But anyway, yes. um, oh come on, Judd reference? No. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And I okay. got. It. I got it. Okay. Good. But uh, yeah. I'll, I'll let you fly the Julie flag there. That's the the Julie flag. But what Sorry. I love, what I love about this is is actually going into episode four. Is that I love the fallout of this with Lisa, where like they're basically like, so Lisa, you you flipped alliances on it, and she's just like, well, you did it to me, so I'm going to do it to you. I can't trust you. Yeah. 
I'm like, uh, this this alliance just has so many so much great logic to it. <laughs> Between like, Mia's, I could do the work, and Lisa's, well, you did it to me, so I'm doing it to you. That's the thing again. That when I remembered the season, I remembered the women just dominating the men, and it's not true at all. The women are terrible. <laughs> like they can't do anything. It's just like she's just like you 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 back you betrayed us, and so I betrayed you. I can't trust you, Eliza. And it's like well. Why should we trust you then? Like, you just... Anyway, it's fantastic. And then Scout, of course, has to say something douchey and condescending. <laughs> My, My environment's a little, a little polluted right now. I'm going to bed. <laughs> yes. I love that line. They're That's polluting so her environment. That's so good. <laughs> Thank you, Scout. I hope Scout listens to this. I would like that if Scout was a historian's listener. Ugh, she's not. But if she were, Scout, that's fantastic. I bet and she'd I- love the Heidi jokes. Yeah, Scout would be amazing on Twitter, like re- like tweeting about the Survivor seasons as they go along. <laughs> that would be good. It it, uh, it it would be pretty good. But uh, yeah, so we we get that. <laughs> oh crap! So we're in episode four. I think this is probably the last one we're going to do for this uh, for this episode. But uh, this this is this is an action packed one. Mm-hmm. Well, we got Daw coming up. So yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, All right. Baby. So. So we go back to Lepevi. Rory is upset that he got three votes last night. And Chris, once again, the peacekeeper, is like, stay the course. We got your back. It's all about the numbers. And again, Chris is the one keeping all these disparate people together, which is what the women really need on their tribe. They need a Chris. They don't have that. Chris is the one keeping all these people from getting into fights with one another. And John Kenny has perhaps the, the least self-aware confessional that we've heard in quite some time. He says, can't stand this tribe. The good, young, good-looking, athletic dudes with great personalities are all gone. Why are we letting the fat dudes run the show? It just doesn't make sense to me. Yes, and he includes himself in the good people with good personalities. Well, it, as Mike said, like that is it's it's super self-aware because it's like in John Kenny's mind, he d- he doesn't understand why they would vote these guys out. But it's like if a modern Survivor player is watching this season, they're looking at him like. You idiot! You, That—that's exactly who you vote out, you know, and, it, and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, John Kenny doesn't, yeah. yeah. And I got to point out here that Brady, Brady starts fishing to gain some get some value to the tribe. Whatever, Brady is irrelevant. But he calls the five elder members of the tribe the Fab Five. He doesn't call them the Fat Five. And then the, the more I'm watching this, the more I'm realizing that Fat Five thing only came from the internet. Now, I don't fat, think, was did the they fat call them five? that? Yeah, the, I don't think they call them the Fab Five, but the Fab Five, wasn't that a Queer Eye for the Straight Guy reference? Oh, it could be, but it could also be a, a Dream Team a basketball reference, too. It could be anything. I mean, not, there's a couple references. Not the Dream Team. That was The Fab Five was the University of Michigan. Michigan, that's it, yeah. Uh, but it, it could be either one. I mean, it could be a Queer Eye. I don't know if I don't know if Brady would know Queer Eye for the Straight Guy being an FBI agent and all, but... But yeah, what I wanted to point out is they don't actually refer to them as the Fat Five. I think that was the only the people on the internet that called them the Fat Five at the time. Yeah, I mean it's tough. I mean Mike could be right. They could be referring because because around this time, you know, in in American history, is the show like Career for the Straight Guy is being is kind of at the height of its popularity or around it, uh, or maybe it just passed it. I don't know. But the they did call the guys on that show the Fab Five, but obviously they took that reference from the university of michigan basketball team but who knows where they got that reference from you know if they're pulling from one or the other it it was said all right so we go to a memory game the reward challenge 
or Bubba points out that he is so freaking good at this. Yeah, well, oh, the men. Again, Survivor 101 will get there. But, uh, yeah, this this is a memory challenge. Basically, it's, there's, a, there's a grid and there's stuff underneath, you know, baskets that are hidden. And basically, as a tribe, one person's going to walk out, uncover two things. It's memory. You know, make matches. First to five wins the reward. Want to know what you're playing for? Come on out, <laughs> Doc. <laughs> I was watching this the other day and Da comes out. who's like, you know, this legend at living off the land and stuff. And it, it struck me, it reminded me of when... Uh, wait, 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 hold on. Hold, hold on. Rockstar. Are you going to go for the... Yeah, Da is a rock, rock star. star. <laughs> but it reminded me of the challenge where Rupert was the reward for, like, Israeli survivors. Oh, my God, that's yeah. the best. Yeah, so it makes me think, was Da, like, the most popular player in, like, Polynesian Survivor or something? <laughs> Does it, that would that would be horrible then because they would have because then they made him like dress up in native garb in that case. <laughs> yeah, he's actually like a banker in real life. <laughs> Dude, put this on. Why? Yeah, put this bone through your nose. That, no. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Dala like, comes out, and what I love is that Da is like sizing these guys up. You can just see him, and he's just like, "Who are these people?" At one point, it looks like he takes a glimpse at Amy's chest. If you look real close, by the way. Yeah. A little something, something for Da. So anyway, you know, Jeff is like, this is Da. Da is a rock star at living on this island. And then he's basically like, if you win the challenge, you win Da. <laughs> basically, he's going to come to their island for 24 hours. It's like the Red Berets award. Yeah, except yeah. There's, there's no grind gate going on at the time. Remember the Red Berets came in the middle of the whole Gandia Ted thing? Yep. And like, I- and, and like Brian is talking to them about yeah. it, and they're just like digging the fire pit or whatever. <laughs> One of my favorite awkward moments ever, the Red Berets having to deal with the grind gate. But yeah, this time Daw is ready to come to the winning camp, and naturally the women destroy the men because the men play this challenge the absolute stupidest way possible. Where they just keep, the second, every time they pick up a second, uh, a second item, it's always a new one, so they're going to tip off where it matches for the girls. Every time. So although is that, is that bad skill, or is that just bad luck? It's bad skill, Mike. It's Bubba just being horrible at this game. Well, I feel like, like the, first, the first few times, it wasn't really their fault, though. I think they were just kind of picking blindly. Yeah. Well, you pick, you pick blindly, right? But like you, you have to look at the grid, and you, you have to sort of see the number of things that are out there. And it's like, when you get near half the things uncovered, you know, by your turn or by the women's turn, when you get near half, then you need to, you know, cause like the first couple of turns, you can sort of uncover two new things at a time to sort of get some pairs out there or get, get, get some knowledge of where things are out on the board. But like once you get near about half the things revealed, you're now crossing the territory of if you're picking two new random things, you are more than likely going to stumble on something that has already been revealed yep. somewhere mm-hmm. else. So like if you go out there and, and, and you find you go to a new thing and you reveal it and it's not, a match of something that you know where something else is, you need to go back to something that has already been revealed and reveal that because even though you're not revealing new information, you're not giving them new information. Yeah. After a while, I feel like Ethan in All-Stars to Jenna. Why don't you just turn your briefcase around and show everyone what you have, Jenna? That's what the men are like. They're just giving free matches away, the lot, like three rounds in a row. That makes sense. Because yep. like the women didn't really have as much chance to do that because basically the men uncovered the first sort of match, right? So, like, someone went out there and they revealed two things, and their second thing that they revealed, since they didn't go to something that was previously revealed, 
was something that was a match. So then the women went out there and made the match. And then it's the men's turn. And then they went and did two new things. And the second thing was a freaking match to something else. And then the women go out there and make a match. And it's just like the guys just kept revealing new stuff. And then the women kept making the matches. Yep. And then Eliza gets the two grapefruits and holds them up to her chest. And Amy says, nice grapefruits. Nice. It's a good moment. <laughs> Everyone seems to remember that moment. That's one a lot of people ask me about. Hey, talk about the nice grapefruits quote. Well, well, then you get, of course, the final match being, you know, Lisa doing a dance. Oh, doing her little sexy dance. We all like Lisa doing her little I'm still 18 and I'm a cheerleader dance. <laughs> it's, it's, good, it's good that Lopevi got one, though. Good for them. Yeah. I should point out that in this episode, I think is the first time Jeff refers to him as Sarge, not Lee. It's been Lee every, every time up in the season until now. Yep, we're starting to get the Sarge thing, but uh, the women re- win reward, and, you know, Daw comes back out, and Daw's just like, again, who the hell are you guys? Yeah, like, uh, Je- Daw has his own way of getting there. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> He's like, women head back to camp, Daw's his own way of getting there. I'm like, dude, is he going to go back to, like, his chopper? I know, he's got an ATV. What's going on? So, anyway, the, they go back to camp, and... Uh, do we go to the men first, or do we just go straight to the women? Straight to the women, and yeah, Dodge just goes right to work, and they follow him around like a uh, Pied Piper. Yep. <laughs> I love it, because he comes to shore, and, like, Eliza's, or whatever, like, he basically gestures, like, hey, help me get the boat to shore. So they get the boat to shore, and then the, the women are like, like, hi, how you doing? He just marches right into the jungle. I love it. Yeah, yeah and it's basically, like, uh, it seems like, the, in, in showtime, it's about three minutes, so it's probably much longer in real time of them just literally running after him as he's, like, Chopping down things and gesticulating to like sugar cane and trying to trying to show people things in the most frantic manner possible. They do love that sugar cane though. Lisa, uh, Lisa loves sugar cane, which is which is cool, right? But like, did, was one of that manioc that they found? Yeah, the first thing yes. they found was manioc. And like, but the thing is, is like manioc, like like in other seasons, they found it. Like these people just, it, it seems like they just didn't understand what it looked like. I feel like these maybe maybe these people weren't as prepared coming out there because obviously Dodge show it, that's the point of the reward right like Dodge showing them what they can eat and what they shouldn't eat and what's good and what's not but like you know Sue Hawk and stuff was looking around for tapioca and man like you know it seems like other people in other seasons were like finding stuff yeah it's a good point well maybe oh. if Mia was working she would have found the manioc <laughs> we could have found that manioc she should have been working not shirking. Wow, nice. All right, nice. so I love the scene where Da has basically finished all his work. All right, you guys can live in the wild now. And then Lisa's like, how about fishing? He's like, ah, fishing. <laughs> that's, good. that's so good. That's like after the night, like uh, they have the night scene where like he's trying to like hunt for crabs and there were like no crabs out or something like that. Yeah. In the morning, he eats the crab and then he like, he basically chops the bamboo and gets a, like a nice flat bamboo bed. And they're like hiding and she's like, thank you so much. And you can see him like resting for once. Yeah. yeah. He's like sitting there and she's like, thanks. What about fishing? And he just yeah. looks at it. He's like, for fish. Huh? Yeah. Mm. Oh, here's our honeydew list, by the way. <laughs> Get rid of all these tasks. Yeah. While you were around, I thought you might be able to sweep up a little bit. <laughs> yes. I don't know though. Like even, even though it's, it's funny to say, I mean, Jeff was right. He was a total rock star. Like, not only did he know all that stuff, but you could see him, like, preparing that meal. He was, like, doing the coconut milk and the meal. Yep. You know, he showed them how to crack coconuts. Like, uh, that was, that would, on on rewards that you can get in Survivor, that's a pretty good one. He built Scout a new knee. 
Yeah. It was amazing. He's like an orthopedic surgeon. And ironically, it was the wrong size. It was the wrong size. It was terrible. <laughs> this is all, that was the reason. It was all about Da. That's kind of, that scout <laughs> sucked in the challenges. Da, right. why didn't you get it right? So yes, Da was great. Da sails home to his life as a well-respected investment banker. <laughs> While I'm sure as he wanted to, a Christian song is sang. Oh my exactly. God, I'm, I was just going to mention that. Like, <laughs> That's what they like the most, the Christian missionary songs. <laughs> Well, th- this is the whole thing, like you were talking about with Lisa, right? Like yeah. it's Lisa that starts this. Like yeah. it's, you know, it, it it was funny because you know I think Eliza was right, and you could see it. Like they got attached to Dahl. Like he 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 showed them so much, and 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 helped them out so much. And then he's leaving, and they were like, we were kind of attached in this twenty four hour period. And they were, you know, they were all kind of teary. And he's like, yeah, see you later, fuckers. And like you know, he, <laughs> he he's sailing away, trying to just forget the last twenty four hours. And like you know, they're, they're about sailing away, and then she starts like you know getting this like hymnal going, and I'm sitting there going like. That's the last fucking thing he wants to listen to. <laughs> well, at first, at first, when I heard it, I thought it was Scout singing. It kind of sounds like yeah. Scout. Then I realized, you know, Scout, if, if anybody would have respect for other cultures, being like a historian of world cultures and stuff, then they cut to it and it's Lisa, of course. I'm like, oh, that makes more sense. And I like the, the very tepid call and response to it. Like, the, the, from the very first notes, you can hear Lisa singing it and everyone's like very timidly echoing it. Uh, and then you cut, that might be the emotion or it might just be the fact that they're all like, uh, I don't want to sing this <laughs> yeah. right now. May Christ save your savage soul. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. Something I did like is that, you know, that, that did, it did generate emotion, that whole thing. It was, it was a bonding moment for the tribe. Uh, and whatnot, and, and as he's leaving, you know, and a- after they sing the song and stuff like that, you could see, you know, in the foreground, you know, some of them are looking out on the water, just watching him row away. But in the background, you could see Amy and Twyla hugging it out. Yeah, it was actually a pretty sweet scene. We're making jokes about it, but it is a nice moment. But you know, it, it, again, it's Amy and Twyla, you know, who are gonna bond together and then sort of, you know, split apart later in the game. But like, they're having a bonding moment. You know, this is coming off the back of the tribal council where Amy told Twyla, to, you know come on other people's levels you know it, it's just a good moment yeah and i think this was a nice uh it was a nice turning point for the woman as well twilight kind of emphasizes earlier in the episode that they need to stick together and i think this kind of with the hinky bow here and there for lisa but this until basically almost the final seven the women kind of decide to stick to get stick together from here on out so thanks da and thank you christian bonding songs that's good and, and it's it's good to have that moment because we get over to La Pevy and look, Sarge and Rory don't like each other. <laughs> well, there there's a great move here. This is where Brady, right? Where Rory's walking off with a fishing spear and Brady's like, you know what? Sarge already hates Rory. How about I just fan the fire a little bit? So he goes over to Sarge. Rory's over there playing with the spear. He's going to break it. And it's actually a pretty good move that a lot of people... People, a lot of people kind of forget Brady was on this season altogether, but that was actually a pretty good move that would have worked probably if Chris wouldn't have been there kind of being the angel on Sarge's shoulder reminding him not to do stupid things. Yeah, I mean, he, he did what he could, you know. It, Survivor is filled with people who, who, who leave because they were on the wrong side of a majority alliance and stuff like that. And, you know, sometimes maybe people don't do all that they could, but I feel like Brady did all that he could, cho- he could do. He, yep. try, he tried to get things going his way. It just wasn't going to work. Doesn't mean he's a bad player. Uh, you know, he, he just was unlucky, you know? 
Yeah, and he's another one of those guys that could have been a breakout star. He could have been a Colby. I mean, he was young, fit, athlete, had a cool job, FBI agent. He was good looking. He was successful, good at the challenges. Again, on paper, he could have been a big character. He just got neutered real early. It just yep. it just happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though so, I mean, he wasn't this was his really big breakout episode, I feel like. I feel like he was kind of in the shadow of some of JP for the past three episodes. And once he finally left and Brady was next on the chopping block, we really got to see what was in his head. And it turns out that he was, you know, they should have been worrying about Brady as well to begin with, because Brady's got a pretty good strategical head on his shoulders. He did, and you said strategical. I know. I brought it up. I apologize about that. Ten push-ups, Mike. Ten (laughs) push-ups. No, Sarge. (laughs) All right. So now we go to the immunity challenge. This is going to be anticlimactic the rest of this episode where they solve a tile puzzle. Where Rory and Eliza are the callers. They have to line up all the things. And Eliza basically dusts him because nobody respects Rory and nobody listens to him the whole challenge. Yeah, it's tough. Nobody Nobody listens to Rory. But, like, what I don't understand is... It's the it's a tile puzzle. It's like a grid. It's a four by four grid, and there were four colors and there were four symbols on each piece. And so you kind of had to make the the grid so that each row and each row and column didn't have the same color or symbol. Mm-hmm. And it's like, isn't the trick to kind of take like one symbol or one color and like make a diagonal? That's, that's what exactly. that's what Eliza says. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the trick, right? You start it out, and it's like. They don't think of that stuff. They're like, let's get all the symbols and put them in this row. And then so I was like, what are you guys doing? It's classless. It's cl- Show <laughs> some class. That's nonsense. Oh, boy. You fellas. It, it was tough. And it, but, but the problem was is that you know, Rory didn't have that idea from the start. But then if he did at some point, they weren't listening to him. Yep. You know, there there's just a point when they're just like completely like even to start the even to start the game they're flipping over the tiles without Rory and they're starting to grab them and switch them without Rory telling them anything. So it's clear that they were just kind of ready to put the blinders on from the very beginning of the challenge. Did you hear why they had Rory as the caller? Because he's good at puzzles. That's his thing. Which is funny because later Rory becomes a pretty good little challenge beast once he's with the women. Yeah, Rory's actually pretty good at the challenges. You'll notice it later. So, a lot like Jay said earlier, I'm actually on Rory's side a lot of this time. Like he's actually probably right, and for some reason, just something about him rubbed Sarge the wrong way. He couldn't recover, but I don't think Rory's necessarily in the wrong a lot of the time. No, and and I, and I need to call in a in a plea to the Survivor producers that are listening to this show. They're 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 not listening to this show. <laughs> Survivor producers that are listening to the show, why don't you have more challenges like this? Like in modern Survivor, a lot of challenges are just like run somewhere or you know do something, and then it's puzzle pieces to solve a little puzzle, or it's you know things to throw on something, some sort of like carnival game. Mm-hmm. And it's like this is a deceptively simple thing, you know, just this four tile, four symbol puzzle. You don't need to do this exact one, but do something like this because again, the people that are recruited to go on Survivor for the most part are like super alpha people. And, like, yep. this is what happens when you put super alpha people. Like, Rory's supposed to be the caller and is supposed to be, like, helping things out. But it's like the tribe can't help but get in their own way. Yep. It, it's so interesting to me. It's just interesting that, you know, people would do that. Like, I'm not an alpha personality. I'm, 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 pretty, I'm pretty beta in, in most things. But it's, So it's like I have no problem. If, if I'm on a, t- a team and someone's the caller, I'm just going to basically listen to the caller. But, like, I know people that wouldn't. They'd just be like, no, I've got an idea. I'm going to do it myself. Well, look at the women's tribe. Eliza 
by far the least respected member of that tribe. No one gives a crap about Eliza, but they all listen to her. Yeah. So it's just interesting how it works. There's actually a point in the challenge, I think, where the women are talking and then they stop and somebody says, like, no, listen to Eliza. She's our eyes. And I think, again, like, after that turnaround with Da, I think they were much more on the same page about working together, at least Mm -hmm. in the challenges. So they were ready to kind of drop all pretensions and say, like, all right, we're going to all work together to win this challenge. Uh, And I... I uh, I agree with you, Jay. I think I, I wish we saw more of these challenges. It also I also like this challenge because it was one of those early old school challenges where Jeff couldn't just look at a card to determine whether the puzzle is right. He actually had to stand there and look to make sure that there wasn't the same colors and same symbols in each row. So I thought that was funny too. Yeah, because was, it's it's not just one way; it can be solved multiple ways. Who was the one that said, "Listen to Eliza"? I'm curious now that you mentioned that. Did you write that down? I can't remember. I feel like it actually might have. I think it, was, it might have been either like Twyla or Amy. Amy makes the most sense. I'm guessing it was Amy or Scout, just because Amy's kind of the spiritual leader of that group. You know, and, and then it was good, like right at the end, right? Because like they get near the end, and then Eliza's like, "I think we have it, Jeff." And they're like, "Wait a minute, look!" And then they looked, and I think it was like Eliza and even Leanne at the same time. They're like, "We have two volcanoes and two colors in the same row," and then. It was Leanne, actually. It wasn't like Eliza did most of the puzzle, right? Got got them that far, and then Leanne was just like, "What if we take these two and switch those two, right?" Like she had the idea, but then Eliza was like, "Yes, yes, yes, do it!" And then they did it, and then they were right, and it was like they stopped, they looked. Leanne said something. They, you know, Eliza confirmed, and like they, it, it was a really nice scene of them working together. Yeah, and it's something I'll, we're going to talk a lot about in parts two and three, and that this is something I remember from The Apprentice on the early seasons and, and Survivor Amazon at the start, women work together really well, much better than men. And you see it all the time in The Apprentice. The women just kick the men's asses every time. So when the women start working together, they just absolutely dominate the guys. And it's really evident in this season, and again, in Amazon at the start, in The Apprentice. And what happens is the women do so much better than the guys until they start having personality conflicts, and then all hell breaks loose. And you'll see that really bad this season. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, I don't want to generalize gender stereotypes since I will inevitably do so in the next two parts, but I feel like women are, in general, a lot more methodical, uh, especially yeah. in terms of, like, promise, problem solving than men are. So in these challenges especially, we see a lot of the women, like, stopping and thinking and talking together, whereas the men are just charging through. Uh, but then that methodical aspect kind of has a double-edged sword because then they're also so methodical that they're sometimes overthinking things. And then as we'll see later on in the season, that kind of leads them to turn on each other way too early. Oh yeah. And again, the Chris storyline would not have happened if that doesn't happen. Yeah. So it's interesting. So anyway, yeah. So the women win great cute scene at the end when Eliza and Leanne get to celebrate a couple seconds before probes announces it. Then we go to tribal council. We lose Brady when, which is not, what is not, uh, What's the word? <laughs> Not climactic at all. Anticlimactic. We know Brady's going. And Brady has, again, some underrated final words. Well, how much did that suck? <laughs> so, and again, that's Brady's legacy. That's really it. I mean, if you ask people to name eight, the 18 contestants on Vanuatu, I'm guessing Brady would probably be the 18th or 17th they named every time. He's very hard to remember. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. And uh, now we're down to our last young male on the Lepevi tribe. The uh, airheaded John Kenny, but we'll see. He's uh, he's soon to get his reprieve for a few episodes. Yes, we are about to hit the twist. Although I think we're going to stop here, and I think that was Jay's plan, correct? Yeah, it's well, we we've we've hit about the three hour mark. So, all right. So again, I just have to reiterate one thing after four episodes, and I said it earlier. 
it's amazing that the story that we've been told up to this point is so different from what the story of this season is going to be. It's just astounding that the editors aren't even trying to hint at it's going to be the Chris show later on. It's just, it's amazing to me. And again, it's, I'm not sure if the seasons are just edited differently back then, if the editors just had more faith in the audience would stick with them and could, and could enjoy a long-term storyline rather than a short attention span storyline. But they had a lot of faith that the audience would have the patience for the Chris storyline, not even to show up until episode eight, because there's not even a hint of it yet. Very true. We're, uh, I mean, we're, we're starting to see hints of the, the women's alliance reform, but I totally agree. We, we are not going to see the other half of that equation for quite some time, even as we near these next few episodes in the pre-merge. It's, uh, Chris plays a little more of a prominent role, but he's still kind of in the backgrounds pulling the strings. Yeah. In my opinion, the season really becomes Vanuatu, I think, in season in episode six. And it's the little scene where Lisa says the wrong thing and Amy bites her head off and basically takes control of the game. And that's really where it becomes Vanuatu. So we're getting there. We got the twist next episode. We got a lot to talk about. Well, we've we've got a lot. We've got the twist. We've got Lopez. Lopez. You are messing me up right now. <laughs> I had to do it one more time. <laughs> that's good. No, we, we we um we we have a lot to talk about. You're right. The twist and everything like that. But also, you have to think about um you have to think about the fact that that Chris. What, why Chris's story is so good at the end is because Chris is in just one of the most impossible situations near the end, and he manages to fish his way all the way through the end and, and win this game. And that is incredible, and he is incredible for doing so. But you have to think about the situation that gets Chris to where he is in such dire straits. Yeah. And so that's sort of what we're setting up. Like we get a little bit of the setup here, you know, because I think that, you know, Eliza is going to play, I mean, Eliza plays a huge role later on. I mean, she's so pivotal, but I mean, we're, we're, we're laying the groundwork. We haven't really met Amy yet for, for real, but we're meeting scout. We're meeting Twyla a little bit, you know, we're meeting some of these characters that are going to be very important for Chris's story later on. But Chris has got to get himself in a predicament before he can get himself out of the predicament. So I'm excited sort of to talk about the next middle episodes, not just for the twist and for Vanuatu sort of kicking into that gear that you're talking about, Mario, but just for the fact that we have to set up the, the dire straits. And it, it's not for as good as for as good as Chris is at getting out of the problems. He did get himself in the problems. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, this is going to be fun to talk about. I know this is kind of a douchey way to look at Survivor, but people always ask us, you know, you guys are good at, you know, pointing out the storylines of Survivor. Like, what should I be watching for when I watch these seasons? And Vanuatu, it's easy to me. Just ignore the men's dynamics. They're completely irrelevant to the story of the season. All that's really important at this point is how the women's dynamics are setting up and how yeah. the distrust is yeah. there. The leaders are showing up. This is going to be a women-run season. That's all that's important to this. Chris, all of them are minor characters. So the women will take over. And it's basically at that point, they take out Sarge. All that's left is Chris, and the way I described it on the Funny 115 is still how I love to describe uh, Vanuatu. It's like the movie Kill Bill. If you've ever seen the movie Kill Bill, all of his allies are dead. They've left him for dead. They've, you know, the the whatever the the deadly viper assassination squad has come and left Chris for dead, and he's going to get his revenge. He's just going to get his Hattori Hanzo sword. He's a one man wrecking crew. He's going to take every single person out to avenge Sarge and his buddies, and it's just the most amazing revenge story ever. So. If you're kind of looking for a long-term way to watch Vanuatu, that's why these first four episodes might not 
be fantastic. Like I said, individually, they're nothing special, but they are laying the groundwork for the women's dynamics, which is really what makes or breaks the season. So that's how I would say it's there's a lot going on here, even though you might not realize it. That's actually a really good point that you mentioned the ignore the men's dynamics, because you're so right. Like the, the, when you go over to Lop Heavy in these first four episodes, at least that we've talked about today, it's fun to see the Sergeant Rory bickering, but ultimately that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's yeah, that's the big problem. Is that and, uh, you know when you get rid of Rory, John, Rory, Sarge, Chad, all in a row. I mean, granted, John and Chad were not the biggest characters, but the, you know, their all their character development amounts to nothing because they basically get voted out for being the wrong gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing. I've said this before, and a lot of people have reiterated this isn't just my opinion. There is no season that's better on a rewatch than Vanuatu. And that it totally explains why it was never that well received the first time around. It's really more of an art film compared to more of the, uh, some of the other Survivor seasons. It's not instant gratification. You have to see what they're doing. And that's the thing. The first time you watch it, I totally understand why the audience didn't get behind it. It's not spectacular for a month. That's a month of TV viewing. That's a lot of time. But you watch it on a rewatch, you know how it's going to end. It's fascinating to see how they're setting up little stuff. So, again, if you've only watched Vanuatu once, if you don't understand why we're talking about such a shitty season, you could not be more wrong. And, again, this is Vanuatu has done more of a 180 than any other season I've ever seen over the years in Survivor history to the point that it was widely considered, almost unanimously, the worst season ever. And now many, many people I know rank it in the top three, four, five of their favorite seasons. So just give this one another chance. And these first four episodes are not boring. They're laying groundwork. That's how you have to look at it. You have to look long-term at this one. Think of the merge, Mario. Think of the merge. What? He was passing me signals. And if you still hate it after this, you're classless. Classless. That's nonsense. I totally agree with you, Rory. If you were a man, if you were a man, would you have taken that? You would have kicked his ass, Sarge. All right, so I think that's it. We'll have plenty more Rory in the next section. We'll have tons of Amy. Uh, who else is coming up? We'll have approximately zero Chad because that's how much he warrants. I'll and have, then we'll have we'll, some interesting shades of Sarge, literally. That's right. You got Sarge and Naked Julie, which is a fantastic storyline. And then we get Lisa, the fall of Lisa, which is an interesting, one of the more interesting moments, I believe, in early Survivor history, which a lot of people have kind of forgotten about. That's, that's an episode worth talking about. Yeah. And it's, it's good. I, no, I'm just excited. I mean, I know, I, I know, I get what you're saying that, you know, this, this season is not fully ramped up and these are expositional episodes at best, but I found them fascinating. I, 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 I don't know. I, I enjoy watching Survivor even to this day, but you know, people, you know, someone asked me, they were, they specifically said, what do you think? You know, Survivor has had a pretty decent run of some modern seasons lately. What do you think about that? And I'm like, well, they've been decent for modern episodes, but I watched this Vanuatu, and even though the, the season isn't ramped up yet, these episodes were so fascinating to watch and so yeah. good. And it just made me long for, you know, just the structure of the show to be like that as opposed to as they are now. It's just, they're just so good. And, and this episode, in this season is so good. And even these expositional episodes, there's a lot to them. You see a lot of people. I can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah. yeah and I will say, go ahead. I was just going to say, it goes, it goes back to what you were saying about these were, these seem like normal people playing. You know, a lot of things that define these modern Survivor seasons are that people are kind of cast into these archetypes that the producers hope they fall into. But this seems... 
this was a, one of those early seasons that seemed like, you know, people might have been making right or wrong decisions, but they were seemed like normal decisions that people would be making. And this was one of the last seasons that I think the audience felt like, oh, this this is like my uncle could be out there and be like Bubba or like my boss could go out there and play like Leanne. I feel like people still were able to kind of connect to these characters because they were still acting like real people and were characterized as such. Yep. And so I think that's it. Anything more to add about the all the episodes prior to the twist in Vanuatu? No. Well, no. The, the, the only thing I'll add is that uh, John P. does not know how to spell Rory. <laughs> Rory? Rory. 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 Although, although it makes me wonder, are they, again, are, are, they, are they spelling it wrong on purpose? Yeah, because I think uh, John K. writes Rory. <laughs> you know, they all have the frame, but no one's got the brain. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I'm trying to think of the stinger we're going to tack onto the end of this episode, and I, wa- I want to do a Bill Paxton quote to point out how he talks like Chris, but we really haven't talked about Chris yet, so I'm going to think we'll save that. It's out wit, outplay, outlast, not outspell. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little dick. It's pathetic. <laughs> True lies. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's sign off all right uh as always uh this is rory and this is classless this is sergeant you are messing me up right now and this is twyla and i'm gonna go eat some maggoty plantains and this is eliza i'm gonna talk right over you <laughs> now thank you for listening to survivor historians it's good to be back we are recording the uh, part two of Vanuatu just in a couple days, so the turnaround will be real quick on this one. So, as always, thank you for listening. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at survivorhistorians at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Mia, your volcano erupts more than I like. Good luck in finding a husband that'll put up with you.